Good morning. It's DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It is game day. Boise State, UCF, 5 o'clock. And then the Utes and Weber State at 5.30. Big games. Boise State's on ESPN. The Utes are on the Pac-12 network with the Wildcats. And right now we're going to start off with a couple of Ute players getting ready for this game tonight, the season opener. Let's start with the quarterback, the transfer from Baylor, Charlie Brewer. What was your reaction as soon as you got the news that you're going to be the starter? Yeah, I mean, obviously, probably a little bit excited. Um, you know, football's back, favorite time of the year. So, you know, getting the opportunity to lead this team is, you know, obviously a big responsibility. And, uh, you know, I'm up for it for sure. From vantage point, how did the, did the battle with Cam go this fall and how did the coach handle it? Yeah, it was a good battle. Cam's a great quarterback. Um, I thought it was a really good competition. And, um, you know, we kind of pushed each other each week, each day, really, and, you know, both of us got better. What's, what's that situation like when they tell you? How does that all go down? And, like, how, do you guys come in together? Is it individual, or what happens? Um, it was individual. Um, I'm not exactly sure on his end, but um, I just know, you know, they just called me in and told me, and that was kind of that. How do you, how do you kind of internalize that without, I mean, because you want to celebrate, right? Like, you're, you're the guy, but at the same time, cheer on your teammates and also not kind of let it get too crazy. Yeah, I think, um, obviously, there's going to be some excitement, but, um, you know, there's still a task to do, right? And I still got to play well. So, um, um, you know, just being focused and, you know, really just taking it day by day and keep improving. Um, just because I won the job doesn't mean that, you know, I can just get complacent. I got to keep getting better each day. The teammates reacted with the news, and how do you feel like uh, you know things have gone over the last few days? I think it was good. Um, you know, the second I got here, I've, I kind of feel that everyone's welcomed me in, and uh, you know, it's kind of been family right away. So it, it's been great. How does this group compared to some of the groups you had with Baylor? Yeah, this this is a really good football team. Um, you know, obviously we got to keep putting in the work, and you know, play well every week. But uh, I see a lot of potential for sure. Where's your comfort level with, you know, your pass catchers and guys surrounding you on offense? Yeah, I feel uh, extremely comfortable. Now we've had, you know, I think since January we've been working. So a lot of time I think the chemistry is definitely there. And, uh, you know, we're kind of just excited to go put it on display this week. Why do you think you fit well with Andy's offense? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, I just think that I love football. Coach Lud loves football, and I think it's a good match. Um, you know, just getting in here, I kind of felt it as a, you know, kind of an opportunity to just come in here and learn the system um, kind of as a challenge. And, uh, you know, I feel like I've done that. Watches more tape you him. <laughs> Probably him. <laughs> he watches a lot of film. But uh, I'm, trying to, I'm trying, to, trying to match that for sure. What are you looking forward to most on the Excuse me? What are you looking forward to most on Thursday? I think just getting out in front of a crowd again. Um, you know, it's been a while, I guess, since 2019 um, with the whole COVID thing. So I think it'll be fun. There'll be a lot of energy. I'm sure fans will be really excited to get out there. You know, they haven't been out there either. So, um, you know, I'm excited to get out there with the guys and kind of go show everyone what we've been working on. What's been the hardest transition coming into here? I think just um, probably... Just learning the terminology of the playbook, really. Um, came, you know, from a spread offense to now, I would say, kind of multiple or pro-style offense. Um, so just getting that down, um, which took time, but 
you know, was able to get done. What did, what did you do to be able to allow yourself to, to feel like you have a good grasp of that offense? Look at it a lot and a lot, a lot. Um, a lot of hours looking at it, um, going over with coach, other teammates, by myself. Um, just a lot of time goes into, you know, learning it. Any impressions of Weber State? Oh, yeah, they're a really good football team. Uh, they play really hard, um, got a lot of really good players on defense. So, you know, we're going to have to come play well. And, uh, you know, they win a lot of games in the FCS level. Um, so we're going to have to play well for sure. There is Charlie Brewer and a guy he figures to be throwing to quite a bit. Here's Britton Covey. So were you uh, shocked to hear either way of who the quarterback was or, or, or did you see it coming that it was Charlie? Uh, I, th- I saw it coming. I think that it was kind of one of those you have to knock out the champ. You know, no one's going to win by split decision type type deals where Charlie had such a good spring that it really was going to take something miraculous from Cam to to come in and do the after surgery. So I think we all expected that, but Cam came in and really threw a wrench in things. So it took longer, but I think that was what most people kind of expected coming coming out of spring. Coach Witt said, you know, kind of throughout that it was a close quarterback competition. Do you, do you believe that it was close like Kyle says it has? No, I really do. Yeah. I mean, especially when I think they wanted to have a starter announced after the, you know, first week of camp or right. first scrimmage, and you couldn't. Um, realistically, I, I think that naming a starting quarterback, the team has to be all in agree in, in accordance with that and understand. And I think that there wasn't enough separation to do that. And as time went on, everyone kind of understood. You know, there's not a ton of separation, but Charlie gives us a few. You know, the experience edge and the spring and things like that. So, what, what's Charlie's defining characteristic as a quarterback? What really stands out about his game to you? Well, in the film that I've watched, it's that he's, he's, he's fearless. You know, I mean, he's only, what, six foot. You know, he's, done, he's not like a 4'4 guy. He doesn't have the killer arm that, like, you know, Patrick Mahomes has. But he does everything that you need him to do. Like, he has game-winning drives. He'll dive for the pylon. He'll do all those things. And then, as I've seen in person, you know, it hasn't been as many live reps. It's his understanding of defenses that try and disguise themselves. You know, great defense always come with disguises. You have different safeties rolling down into coverage. You have ends dropping back. And it's almost like there hasn't been anything that he hasn't seen. And so I think that's kind of his defining characteristic. You guys had a lot of success with Tyler in 2019. What, what's different with, you know, what Cam, or not Cam, but Charlie does than, than maybe what Tyler did as a, as a quarterback? Yeah. I think that Tyler had a good grasp on the kind of play-action system. Um, Tyler, Tyler really bought into this, you know, this new offense. He had learned three offenses in, you know, four years. And so um, I think that that's one thing that Charlie had to learn when he came here. Charlie at Baylor was more of a shotgun. You go out there, spread the field out, pick your matchups. Here is a little bit more methodical of, okay, we're going to set this up. We're going to be a great run team to be a great play action team. And I think that that took some time. And Tyler was really good at that. Um, and then... They're actually really similar in, in the way they move with their legs. You know, he's not as fast as Tyler, probably not as good a runner, but he moves well in the pocket. And if it's third and five, he'll pick up the first down with his legs. And, and so that's always exciting, you know. I, I think that that really op- opens up what you can do. You're going to have to put a spy on guys like that. <clears throat> you feel like the offense is ready to go coming up on Thursday night? I do. I feel like... Uh, I feel like going into game week, we picked it up a whole another level. Uh, 
sometime we were talking in the locker room and the practice to game ratio you realize in football is just totally outrageous you, you practice like 99% of the time dating back from winter to spring to summer to only to play a, a two hour game right and so I think that going into game week it just amped everybody up it's like finally it's here and everybody started to really understand what it's all about and pick it up and it's really cool to see I mean I'm not sure how many freshmen we have 60 plus on this team and just to show them what it's like like going into game week it's different it, you know it's a different feel like it's you know there's more um, there's more mental focus than the whole rest of the year there is Britton Covey the Utes tonight against Weber State. We're all looking forward to it. We're going to get a game. And yes, I'll have more than one TV going. I'm anchoring tonight at Channel 2, and I'll be checking out that Boise State game at the same time. Side by side, what's going on? Interesting, because Boise State's going to play Utah State, going to play BYU. they got a coaching change to their own. So, we got a lot of stuff to get to. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Time now to talk to Riley Jensen, our college football insider on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Riley, good morning. Hey, what's happening, guys? Football, it's here. Now, of course, it looks like we're slated for some blowouts. Las Vegas doesn't want to put a point spread on the Weber State-Utah game. They never do when the big sky's playing the Pac-12. So they expect a blowout there. And then you see that BYU is a 12.5-point favorite over Arizona. Washington State is a 17-point favorite over Utah State. Which of these three games is most likely to have a really interesting fourth quarter and be a competitive game and a kind of thing like, I'm not going to bed early. I don't care if it's midnight. This game's getting right down to it. Who would that be? Ooh, that's, a, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I, <laughs> usually Vegas has kind of some interesting insight. <laughs> they, don't, they don't really miss very much, at least on their, on, their, on their line. If you're looking for a good fourth quarter, I mean, I guess I'm just going to go with my heart and hope that Utah State's in it in the fourth quarter. <laughs> but I, I think those lines are about right. I, the one thing that I will say, you guys were just talking about Jay Hill, and you're right, you should root for Jay Hill. That's that's a fantastic coach. It's a fantastic person. And if he's at San Diego State, I'm going to be really, 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 really upset for a lot of different reasons. <laughs> but he would be very happy to have him. I think the one thing that I could say about Weber State and the Utah matchup is there's going to be some uncomfortable moments. This Weber State team is patterned almost exactly after the University of Utah. You're going to see the same type of defenses. You're going to see the same type of players. Now, of course, they're not they're not as deep, and they don't have as many good players as the University of Utah. But this is a really good Weber fo- football team, and. As I watch them and as I talk to the coaches, 
I think there's as many, and, and look, this is from the freshman class all the way to the senior class. I think there's as many as five NFL football players on the team at Weaver State right now. So this is not a terrible team. And I would expect for Utah fans to feel some uncomfortable moments. I mean, Josh Davis is a really good football player. You got Bronson Barron, who's already had a freshman year and is still a true freshman. Right? He's, he's played some good football. There's a guy by the name of Jared Scheiss on the defensive line. You got Connor Mortensen that plays linebacker. These are fun football players to watch. And so if you feel a little bit uncomfortable as a Utah fan tonight, it's okay. This is a really, really good Weaver State football team. So we've got with Washington State and the uh, Aggies, both coaches refusing to name their quarterbacks uh, game week. And we've had that around here a time or two, but both BYU and Utah, they were pretty much knew who it was going to be, and they made it official, so they did name them, no big Zero surprise there. But what do you think about this cat-and-mouse game that the coaches play? I, I, I think it's a big nothing burger. I, don't, I mean, especially the first game of the year. The first game of the year, it's not like, you know, if you're trying to pick your quarterback, it's not like anybody could prepare really specifically for one quarterback anyway. And good sound, uh, sound and, and organized defenses, like, they're not – they're not really worried whether this guy is like a dual threat or whether he's a pocket passer. They're more worried about playing fundamentally sound defense. And I think, I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. More than anything, I think it's a little bit of a condemnation sometimes on their position. Like, oh, you, you haven't had a starter step forward. That kind of means that you're, you're disappointed with whoever you thought the guy was going to be, that he's not playing well enough. And so if you're still playing the cat and mouse game, um, most of the players know who the guy is. And if you don't start the guy who's the guy, who the players know is the guy, then, then the coach is making a fundamental mistake. But I I don't know. I, I, I'm i a little bit familiar with the Washington State program. The the the, the way, and, and really at Hawaii, when Rolovich was at Hawaii, I don't, I, I kind of disagree fundamentally with the way that he's treated quarterbacks over the years. I, I don't like the way he does it. It's just my opinion. And I don't think I don't think it helps the quarterbacks to play to the best of their ability. So, if you don't name a quarterback, are you okay with not naming a running back? Because obviously, the Utes are going to go into the season much as they did last year, giving three or four different guys—five, seven, ten carries, whatever—sorted out. Last year, they found their guy and they gave him twenty-seven carries in game three. It looks like we're going down the same road. You okay with that? I'm I'm okay with it because I think it's a little bit different position. I think it's one of those positions where you can play three guys. And I think, you know, I I think it was towards the end of Mike Shanahan's career at the Denver Broncos, he started proving that you could have like a sixth round draft pick as long as you have a good offensive line, and then you can play around with running backs until you find the guy that really has the rhythm. And you know they end up having two, three good running backs every year. And I think I think that's kind of what most teams, I mean, they talk about the NFL being copycat. College is copycat more than anyone. And when you and when you start to see that, like, okay, well, we can play three or four guys till we really find out who our guy is, that's not really a big deal because even if you find your guy and you give him the ball 27 times, your second guy might be a really good third-down situational player. He might be really good at pass blocking, and he might be really good at catching the ball out of the backfield. 
And that's the guy that you want in the game in those situations. And so you really can find out a lot. And I think that's why when you're, when you're using your preseason schedule, it's kind of important for a team like Utah. Um, it's really important for a Pac-12 team to be a little bit wise in the way that they schedule themselves so that they can ease into their conference season um, and fig- by figuring out who their real guy is. Because it's really hard to tell what a running back can do until you're in really super live reps. It's hard, it's hard to tell. So Arizona is going to go the other way. Their coach announces that they're going to play two guys, and that's a little unusual, but we've seen it. And particularly at Arizona, it's probably a little more acceptable because he's got uh, fish, he's got major uh, rebuilding to do. The program is bottomed out, losing 12 in a row. But what I want to know from you is what do you think about when they're going to go with, not the fact that they're going with two, but how do you set that up? Because do you go with a hard fast? Okay, you're coming in on the second quarter, but suppose the first, first guy lights it up in the first quarter. You're a 12-point underdog. Suppose you're up 17-3. to three. Why commit to go and play? And how do you, do you have a preset or do you see how it goes? Because that opens it up for a lot of questions and interpretations, and I'm not sure what the answers are. Yeah, I totally agree. I, you, you have to have a plan. I mean, you can't just go into the game and not have a plan, whether it's every other series, which I think is a total mistake to a quarterback because it's, it's a rhythm position. It's like saying it's like t- saying to a starting pitcher in, in the major leagues, like, okay, so we're going to have you pitch every other inning. And I know you can't really do that, right? But yeah. you, 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 you just wouldn't do that to a starting pitcher because you got to get into a rhythm. You got to be able to like be in the flow and kind of. The quarterback position is a little bit of a rhythm position, and if you're constantly out of rhythm because you never know when you're in and you never know when you're out, that can be very difficult. I could see it more being like a first quarter, second quarter. This is what I think would happen if if. If I were to do this, which I, I don't think I would, I, I can't see a scenario where I would do this, but I think you would go, all right, we're going to give you the first quarter, we're going to give you the second quarter, and then the second half is up to me based on how you play. Right? So you give them some time to get into a rhythm in the first quarter, some time to get some rhythm in the second quarter, and then you go, okay, so who gives us the best chance to win at this point? But you're right. If the kid goes out and he's gangbusters and you're up 17-3 in the first quarter, and then you pull the guy out and you put the other quarterback in, I mean, I, that would be a head-scratcher to me. That would be a real head-scratcher. And I, I hope he's flexible enough to know or to think that. And, I mean, man, the more I'm around college athletics, the more I'm around professional athletes and those sorts of things, like, man, ego is, is a dangerous thing with both <laughs> the coaches and the players. And ego can get in the way of so many different things that it's just really, really interesting when, when, when these decisions are made. I'm always looking at decisions going, okay, was there any ego involved with that now? And if there is, then you're kind of making emotional decisions instead of functional decisions. So what percentage of the time do you think people are getting it right, and what percentage of the time do you just walk away shaking your heads like, I can't save them from themselves? <laughs> um Boy, that's a really interesting question. I would say, I would say that recently, I would probably I, I listen. Unless people want to get better, and if, unless people want to look in the mirror, they're not going to get better. And I would say that the number is probably about fifty percent of the athletes 
that I work with and 50% of the coaches that I work with like really do want to get better. Like they, they're, they're not afraid to look in the mirror and see that there's a wart on their nose so they can put compound W on it. But most of the time, the, the people that don't want to, they don't want to look in the mirror and they don't even know they have warts, you know, and it's hard. It's hard to see that because we all have warts, right? We all have our blind spots. If you're not willing to look at it, if you're not in a growth mindset, that's really, really tough to work with. You do a lot of work with the mental health and and, and just uh, the psychological aspect. You've got training in that. You went back and got all that stuff, set yourself up. you got a nice thing going on. So I wanted to just ask you, it's a little bit off the subject, uh, but I think you're more than qualified to answer this. The golf tournament that they had last Sunday, right? You got Patrick Cantlay and DeChambeau, and it and it goes into what five or six holes of overtime, and DeChambeau ends up losing it. He had a number of putts to win, and he couldn't sink it. And as I'm watching this thing, and when DJ and I talked about it, I would have bet the farm on Cantlay winning because it seemed like every time he got on the green, he knew that the putt was going in, even if it didn't. And you knew as a viewer that he was going to win draining a long-distance putt, and I think it was 17 to 20 feet. I think they said 20, but put it at 17 later. And DeChambeau had a number of putts that were shorter than that, but he couldn't make them. How much do you think confidence played into that? Because it seemed like Cantlay felt like he was Kobe or MJ with the ball and the game on the line. This thing is going through the hoop. Yeah, it was. It, I, and I had the chance to watch it live, and it was fascinating to me. And I, I tweeted out just how fascinating it was to watch the body language of these two. <laughs> and look, DeChambeau is pretty impressive off the tee, right? And he hit some amazing shots. I mean, just amazing shots. And so did Cantley. And it was really fun to watch. And, you know, I didn't have the courage to tweet it out. And, and I know this will sound like hindsight is twenty twenty, but the reason why you felt that way was the body language. I mean, the body language of Cantley compared to DeChambeau was ridiculous. And those, those nonverbal cues, it's really interesting. And I could get into the deep studies about this. But the way you stand and the way you hold yourself – in difficult situations can have a huge impact on what the messaging is in your brain. So they know that body language affects your, your self-talk and they know that self-talk affects your body language, but the easiest one to fix is your body language. The easiest one to control is your body language, not all the different nuanced thoughts that go into your mind. And so you're watching these two and there's all kinds of reaction and all kinds of body language going on with DeChambeau, especially after I think the second one where he missed like a six foot putt, and all of them were going left there for a little while. And then if you watched him when he was putting, there was like really, really rigid arms. And I don't, I don't know how to explain it. And it was almost like he was trying to focus too much on using his big muscles instead of his fine muscles. And I just thought that there was way so much overthinking going on where Cantlay was just like, dude, I'm here. This is a beautiful day. I'm really good at golf. I'm just going to let my body do the work. Right? I'm just going to – it was almost as if – and it's funny in, in mental toughness – you're almost trying to cut people's heads off, and I don't mean that in, in a terrible way, but you're trying to disassociate the thoughts of your brains because all of these guys have hit all of these shots a bajillion times, and they can make all these shots. It's the one that can like get their head out of the way and just let their body do the work. And that, that, that whole, uh, you know, those six holes were just super fascinating to me. 
I mean, the the biggest reaction that he got out of Cantley was just like his little his little tongue coming out, like, "Oh, I nailed that shot." Oh, I nailed that. <laughs> that was the only thing that he showed at all. Is is when he was doing something good. You didn't even have to watch the drive. Like as soon as he hit it, if his tongue came out of his mouth and he was like licking his top lip, it was it was money. <laughs> it was money, and it was just like, "Holy cow!" That was unbelievable mental toughness and really fun to watch for me. And DeChambeau was amazing in his own right. But Cantley just kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on and kept the pressure on. Finally, DeChambeau couldn't, couldn't do anything about it. So I want you to go back to something you said early in the answer there about the body language and the messaging to the brain. I thought body language revealed what the brain is thinking. You know, if you're thinking... I'm not going to make this putt. I'm not going to make this free throw. A lot of times that can be seen in someone's body language, right? I saw it in their eyes. But are you saying that the body language can inform the brain about what it should think about this situation? Yes. Really? Yes. It goes both ways. And so that's why body language is so important is because they've shown that body language has a direct influence on your, on your, your self-talk and your self-talk has an influence on your body language. So if I can control my body language, that puts an athlete in control and the messaging to the brain is different. It's different. And so it's really, it's really fascinating. Um, and it's really, really kind of fun to, to see people. Like if you watch Donovan Mitchell, I know he's talking to some sort of mental performance coach because he is so he is so deliberate about his body language, even when he's not playing well. And he does all sorts of things like breathing techniques. He even uses a power word or has used a power word in the past. And what, I've, what's a, I've what's a power word? It. What's a power word? So, so a power word is like, well, I'll give you the example. I know he says the word sometimes, and he doesn't do this all the time, but in certain times he says the word trust underneath his breath at the free throw line, right? Meaning trust your training, Trust the work that you put in. Trust your coaches. Trust all the experiences that you've had up to this point to be in this moment, right? And then he takes a deep breath and he'll shoot the free throw, right? And a power word is really good because if it's one or two words, like a power phrase or a power word, it can actually just get you hyper-focused on the fundamentals of, like, what you do. And now you're not thinking about, oh, my gosh, am I going to let my teammates down? Oh, my gosh, am I going to let – my fans down? Am I going to let my family down? Am I, you're not thinking all these negative thoughts that could possibly happen. You're just thinking about what's the most important thing that I need to do right now to be successful. And these guys were so good. I mean, you know, everybody's going to say DeChambeau choked and all that kind of stuff. Man, he's good, though. Man, he's freaking good. And just a little tweak with his body language. And that guy could be winning just bajillions of, of matches, right? Next time I golf with PK, I'm going to say the word trust before every putt that's inside of 10 feet. There's no trust from 25 feet. 25 feet, you close your eyes and you hit it. (laughs) Here's the problem. I'm not sure that you put in as much work as Donovan in the golf game. I'm pretty sure I don't. I'm pretty sure I don't. The fascinating thing to me, Riley, is, and if I relate it to my little golf situation, I play a fair amount of golf, is why sometimes I'm over the ball and I just know it is mm-hmm. going to be great. The result is going to be exactly what I want. But other times, it's like I've never been there. How do I take from never been there to where, yep, I know it's going to happen, man. I feel great. So that's a huge leap. I would, I would say that's a huge leap in your golf game. To go from, man, it feels like I've never been here before, 
to, oh my gosh, Pollyanna, everything is sunshine, flower, rainbows, and glitter is a really, really huge jump. So what I would say to you, if I were working with you, PK, is I would say, hey, try and get yourself to a neutral thought, okay? So a neutral way of thinking when you're golfing is a 3 two, one technique. What are three things I can see? What's two things I can hear? What's one thing that I can feel, like the sun on my face, a little bit of a wind, whatever else, take a deep breath and then hit the ball. And what that does is for 30 seconds, you had neutral thinking instead of negative thinking. Like, oh my gosh, I've never been here before. This feels so off. My grip feels weird, blah, 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 yada, 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 right? So sometimes your biggest win is just to get yourself from that negative thought to what I call neutral thinking. And another way to do neutral thoughts is just to think the way that you would coach your best friend through something. Not the way you would coach yourself, because usually we're really hard on ourselves and really mean. But if you were to coach your best friend through a shot, what would you tell him right now? And that's a really, really good neutral or what I call productive thought that allows you not to go to the cheesy over the top, like I'm a stud, I'm the stuff weekends are made of, I was born to be here, all that kind of stuff, right? But if you can get to, like, if, my, if I was coaching my best friend right now, what I would say is keep your head down and, and commit to your shot. That might be the two things that you say to yourself instead of, oh, my gosh, my grip feels weird. This wind's throwing me off. I can't believe it's raining. You know, all these negative thoughts can seep into our mind when we're golfing. Just get to a neutral thought, some sort of a neutral thought. Ronnie, we'll leave it right there. Thanks for the football and the golf tips, and uh, I'm sure there's a basketball (laughs) player out there who can take all this to the free throw line, too. That was really fun, guys. Thanks for having me on. There's Riley Jensen, our college football insider and mental performance coach, Riley Jensen Consulting, with some really interesting insight. I, I absolutely know that body language, body language reveals the mindset. I had no idea that it shaped the mindset, that it could improve the mindset. I, I had not heard that before. Interesting stuff from Riley right there. Hey, a reminder, coming up later this morning, 835, we're going to be giving away tickets to see Utah and Weber State tonight. College football is here. It's go time. Uh, If you're sitting at home watching on TV, it's Boise State and UCF at uh, 5. That's a good game. And then the Utes on the Pac-12 Network at 5.30. And then Arizona State is following the Utes with their season opener as well. So a lot of college football tonight. But if you want to go to the Utah-Weber State game, we've got tickets. You've got a chance to win. We'll be looking for caller number 12 about 8.35 this morning. So stay tuned for that. Coming up next, Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson to talk about the opener, Arizona and BYU in Las Vegas. That's next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, we are joined now by Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. It's no secret that Utah's in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Mike, good morning. Good morning, guys. How you all doing? We are doing well. We're looking forward to the start of college football. And I'm curious, are Arizona fans looking forward to the start of it? Or have they got one eye open and one eye closed because this is going to be a bit of a project and there's a long losing streak and it may be a while before it gets better. What are they thinking? Um, it's a, well, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head there. It's a little bit of both because you've got to remember, Arizona football right now is in the midst of a 12-game losing streak. So, and last game was, well, 70-7 to against a fairly pedestrian ASU team. But the good news is Jed Fish has come in and when he was initially announced as the head coach, a lot of people were like, huh? But he's come in, he's recruited incredibly well, and he's done everything right. You know, he's been available for the fans, he's been available for the media, and, you know, right now he's looking like he might be able to bring in a top 25 class, which let's, uh, you know, let's be honest, in Arizona, that's a big deal. I look at the job that Jed Fish has to do, and I compare it to what Bronco Mendenhall had to do at BYU in Great comparison. 2004-05. They had three consecutive losing seasons. The program was a mess. And just his ability to get everybody together and unify the team and focus it on the task at hand led to six wins. It's in the Mountain West, so it's probably easier than what uh, Arizona has to do in the Pac-12, particularly in the Pac-12 South. With that in mind, how much do you think just the fact that Jed Fish can come in with all this enthusiasm, and I grew up in Arizona, went to ASU, so I've followed the U of A, and I've heard all these things you've been saying. How much do you think that can translate? Maybe you know, not big-time success this year, but maybe more success, success than originally anticipated. Uh, yes, I think, that's a, I think that's a great point. And the, the comparison to Mendenhall I think is a fascinating one because, as you guys know, BYU is kind of a program right now that I think Arizona fans should be should should look to uh, should look to emulate because you look at it and what's the first thing at least from you know my perspective I look at BYU and I think of stability and I think of basically a solid program and that's essentially what Arizona has not been for the last twenty plus years and so yes the, oh, Jet Fish comes in here and it's going to take a little while. But at least everybody is on the same page, which is a huge difference from in the past, you know, with Kevin Sumlin, where it didn't really look like anybody was on the same page. Everybody was kind of just going in different ways. There's all these, you know, questions about what's going on off the field. So, yes, the program continuity and stability looks to be headed certainly in the right direction. The problem, though, fellas, is there's just not much talent on this roster, if we're being honest. So when you see a twelve and a half point spread, uh, do you think that's about right? Oh, I think I think BYU covers that. I would imagine when I when it first came out at eleven and a half, it felt a little low to me. I would guess, and this is just a guess, I would guess that that point spread probably hits around fourteen by the time kickoff hits. Um, I know that there's obviously been money that's gone in on BYU, 
The, here's the problem, and I know you guys are breaking in a new quarterback, but just looking across, you know, just looking at the, just looking at your guys' offensive line, looking at some of the skill position players, you're just a lot bigger than Arizona. And you know, newsflash, you know, BYU, you're probably going to have some older guys on the team, and you know, it, it's great to come out and have this ability to be able to throw some younger guys out, out there, and, you know, you've got an energetic coaching staff. And I think this game could be close for a little while, but I think, honestly, I think with the way that BYU's got this going, this is going to be a problem for Arizona, and that's as much of a indictment against Arizona as it is a pro, you know, BYU remark. So Fish says he's going to go with the two quarterbacks. How's it going to play out, though? When's the second one coming in? Um, you know, this is an, it's an interesting question because Jet Fish also said that there has been separation between the two quarterbacks. And my opinion is, is that Gunnar Cruz, who is the starting quarterback, obviously is the one that has probably shown some separation in practice because <laughs> I, don't know a lot of, I don't know a lot of head coaches that are going to say, you know what, um, our backup's shown a lot of separation in practice. We're going to go with the other guy. So... I think Gunnar Cruz, honestly, is going to get his opportunity. And like Jed Fish said, he's, um, he said, you know, listen, we're going to go with two quarterbacks, but if, you know, one, guy is, one guy's got the hot hand, I'm going to keep him going. And I'm, I think that that's probably what they want. Here's the, here's, the thing that, here's the thing that's interesting, though, is that Will Plummer, who's the backup, has a lot more physical ability, bigger arms, can move around really, really good. What, um, but the problem is, He's an interception machine. He was that way in high school. He's been like that in spring practice. Uh, Cruz is far more, uh, I would say, far more reliable. But the problem, and I think, I think you guys will see this come game time, is that he holds on to the ball way too long. I mean, I can't tell you how many times, you know, in practice and scrimmage since most of it's been open, that he would just be running around and, you know, there's six, seven seconds, and then he just chucks it. He's got a – he doesn't – he's not great at reading the field, and I think that's going to be an issue for him, especially come opening night. Mike Luke joining us, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host. You, you, print, you, you, you have a pretty bleak picture here for the Wildcats. Where would they have an offense, defense, special teams, run, pass? Where might they have an advantage against BYU? Okay, so there are a couple good things. I'm glad, glad, you, I'm glad you brought that up. I think the running game is going to be fairly decent. they got a kid named Michael Wiley who has been on, is on the Doak Walker watch list. He's kind of the proverbial running back that he, you know, he'll get four to five carries a game and he gets 32 yards. So you look at it and you're like, wow, his yards per carry is you know, six or seven. He's a kid that I, and he's really bulked up this offseason – He's a guy that I think has a chance to go for 1,000 yards. He's quite good. Now, and defensively, I think if Arizona's going to surprise some people, oh, and by the way, for all your uh, uh, listeners out there, I think Arizona does is better than the two-and-a-half wins. I think they get three, totally off topic. But when it comes to the defensive side of the ball, there's one guy that I think is going to be a monster for Arizona, and his name's Jalen Harris. He's a 6'6". 240-pound junior, Don Brown, who's the new defensive coordinator, who was Michigan coordinator for five years, obviously has been around some talent. 
has compared him to a lot of guys that he worked with that went on to play in the NFL, guys like Chase Winovich, players like that. And I would he's the one that I would tell BYU fans to certainly keep an eye on because Don Brown, without saying it, I think is expecting him to have around a 10 or 11 sack season. And I think the defense, as long as they don't get totally worn down, I think that they can cobble together maybe a fairly decent unit. Uh, as I understand it, in researching, I think they like their cornerbacks too. So I'm interested to see what the cornerbacks can do against BYU, which has deep and I think has a good level of receivers. Yes, the cornerbacks. The cornerbacks are interesting because you've got two kids. You got a guy in Christian Roland Wallace, who is the only corner on the team, or excuse me, the only player on the team that has a had a legitimate USC offer out of high school. Um, Arizona generally doesn't get those kind of guys. And so he's going to be lined up on one side. And then on the other side, you're probably going to have Isaiah Rutherford, a Notre Dame transfer who is an ex-four-star kid out of California. And they're both fairly tall guys. I mean, you know, Isaiah Rutherford's about 6'1". Roland Wallace is probably around 5'11", 6'0", but he's a bulky, you know, 195, 200-pound guy. So, yes. They haven't shown a ton in games because, obviously, you know they haven't played a ton. But I would imagine if Arizona's going to surprise some people, those are the duo right there that are going to have to be good, and they're going to be able to have to not really be on an island because they're not those type of players, but they're going to have to both be above-average Pac-12 caliber players for Arizona to put together a pretty good defensive unit. So, yes, you're, you're, you're spot on right there. There's cautious optimism when it comes to both the corners. Do you believe Arizona will be able to tackle any better than they have in the past? Yes, just because they can't get any worse. Um, the last you know, the last couple years under uh, uh, Kevin Sumlin, it was a combination of terrible technique and guys that just really didn't care. And the first thing Don Brown uh, said when he came in is if you don't run to the ball and you don't tackle, you won't play for me. And he means it. This is a unit or this is a team that, you know, there's not a ton of expectations. You know, when you go into the season with a two and a half win, when you go into the season with a two and a half win over under, you're obviously not expected to do a ton. But the one thing about this team, though, and the one thing about uh, Brown is he knows that. And so this is kind of a bridge. You know, I don't want to say throwaway year. It's, I think it's a little too lazy. But so if these guys don't play, I mean, he'll literally throw in the second and third stringers and say, okay, you know what? They might not have the ability that the first team guys do, but at least when they get their hands on the ball carrier, they're going to tackle them. So it's certainly a thing where, you know, BYU, I imagine, is going to continue to run the ball, and Arizona's going to have to be able to tackle because there's going to probably be a lot of second-level tackle opportunities for the linebackers. You already mentioned the one running back. I'm wondering where the Northwestern transfer Anderson fits in because he had success in the Big Ten. He's an interesting guy because he's Damian Anderson's son, so he's an NFL, you know, he's got NFL bloodlines. He's, it's weird, though, because he's gone back and forth in camp. Sometimes he was running with the backups. Sometimes he was running with the threes and the fours. He's, he, did have some, he did have some success, you're right, in North, at Northwestern. But he's also one of these guys, too, that when you look at him, he's not a really big dude. 
he doesn't really stand out in practice. I think he's probably going to get the second team reps come uh, come game time, and it'll be interesting to see what he can do with those because you know, as you guys know, some guys sometimes people are gamers. Sometimes people go out there and they just you know, and they just need the lights to go on. And I think if you're Arizona, you're hoping that's the case because he ideally, I think, with his experience, would be the perfect uh, complement to what Michael Wiley does at the running back position. So there's a lot of transfers. Is the transfer portal the way to go to rebuild the University of Arizona football program? Or is this just kind of a one-off because they need guys? Jet, you know what's funny? Jet Fish mentioned that in his or in his uh, coach's show, and I think it's a twofold. Uh, uh, first of all, you needed guys, um, but second of all, he made a point though. He said if you look at the transfers that we brought in, a lot of these guys are guys that have three or four years to play, and so he brought up Isaiah Rutherford. He brought up a uh, Jason Harris, a defensive end from Colorado, who was a four-star uh, pass rusher. Um, you look at guys like that, they have three to four years to play. Where And then, you know, you do look at it, it's got some guys like a, uh, a Trey Hayward, who was a transfer, you know, from uh, uh, Western Michigan, who was a small school All-American type. He's only got one year to play, but he's, he was good enough that you obviously bring in a guy like that. So I think you try to bring in guys that can play, but you also buoy them, hopefully, with guys that you know can come in and hopefully be able to play and contribute immediately, even if it's just for one year. You know, same thing with a guy like a Gunner Cruz. He comes in, he's still got four years to play at the quarterback position. So there's a lot of these guys that it's almost, with the, with the COVID exception, it's almost like you're bringing in guys that are almost high school kids if you think they're good enough. Where are the wins coming from? That's a great question. So I, uh, they should, they're 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 going to beat NAU, and if they don't beat NAU, then there's obviously even bigger problems than we think. I think they have a pretty good chance against San Diego State. Uh, that game's at home. I know San Diego State's won 10, 11 games a lot, but at the same time, they're losing seventy percent of their people. Then I think in the Pac-12, they're going to have to sneak one, whether that's Colorado, whether that's Colorado. You know, you've got a game. We've got a game against Cal, UCLA, possibly Washington State. They've got a few winnable games there. And so I think they go into the conference 2-1, and one, and I think they win one, possibly two conference games. So that's where – I know I didn't give you the exact three, but I think those were two come from, and I think that they've got – they've certainly got some winnable games in the conference. Well, Mike, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for coming on and talking a little uh, Wildcat football. And BYU fans like the way you think. Cougars are going to cover. So BYU yeah. fans are anytime, on board with that. Anytime. You know, it's one of those things, even if uh, even if Arizona loses, it's, it's I think it's, we're just excited down here just to get a new era rocking and rolling. There's Mike Luke, Arizona Wildcats pre- and post-game host on 1290 AM in Tucson. A reminder. Utah is playing tonight against Weber State, and we've got tickets to give away, and we will do that at 8.35 this morning. So make sure you're listening at 8.35 for your chance to win tickets to see the Utes and the Wildcats. Coming up next, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us. 
Your day has just begun. Yeah! But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Yeah! Hashtag Utah. Obviously, there's going to be some excitement, but, um, you know, there's still a task to do, right? And I still got to play well. So, um, um, you know, just being focused and, you know, really just taking it day by day and keep improving. Um, just because I won the job doesn't mean that, you know, I can just get complacent. I got to keep getting better each day. Charlie Brewer on his goals for tonight's game, PK. Everybody wants to know, is everything he did at Baylor going to translate? A quarterback who throws for 3,000 yards. The Utes haven't had a lot of that, but when they have, they won 11 games. (laughs) Okay, great. Come on, go big! Go big! Uh, The team has a chance to go big. I'll give you that, yeah. I don't know what happened two years ago at Baylor matters today, but... Not that today literally is an issue, but going forward over the course of nine conference games and, <clears throat> and hopefully for them if they get that far at 10th in the title game, uh, I, I, everything is different now. So the resume's there, the experience is there, uh, but we sort of went through this not quite with Bentley last year. I know, I know, and you don't want to go hook, line, and sinker two years in a row, right? I'm willing to go more than I went last year because, of course, I have retrospect, too, on last year, so that's much easier to say. Uh, But, you know, his resume is a little bit better, certainly, than Bentley was. But Bentley wasn't a player. I don't know how else to say it, unfortunately. I don't take any glee in saying it, but we know that, man, he just wasn't what we thought he was going to be. So I don't want to heap too much pressure on this kid, but I feel better about him than I did Bentley. Sure, but the... Not not getting to see all the scrimmages, right, and all of that. You know going back with Bentley, you go back and you look at the numbers, and he really struggled against the, the top third of the SEC. Ranked SEC teams, his team had a bad win-loss record, and the stats weren't as good. Now against the bottom of the SEC, even the middle of the SEC, he crushed it, right? So we've said for a long time, well, the middle of the Pac-12 is awesome and nobody realizes it, and that's why you get these upsets. So you can kind of see how it happened. So the reservation I have with Brewer is the one you brought up. Well, Pac-12 defenses, are they better than Big 12 defenses? Are the Big 12 defenses the worst defenses in the Power 5, and is it going to be a different deal when he changes leagues? And a lot of the yards he got, they were pretty easy, and he's just not going to get those easy throws here. You put doubt in my brain, PK. Well, I'm not sure on that. Yeah, I, I mean, know. Everything you just said is legitimate, but I can't come to a conclusion, and I don't want to just be, oh, I'm going to give a strong opinion just to have a strong take right. when I don't really come close to really knowing for sure what to believe. I'm willing to see it and, and then go from there. I like the resume. <clears throat> I like what uh, Kyle and Andy Ludwig have been saying, uh, but I need to see it some more, and I haven't seen it at all when it mattered and we didn't see any spring ball for the first time ever uh, I, I think also well last year we didn't see the they didn't really have a training camp the way they traditionally have it but this was the first training camp we didn't even get to see the punters punt <laughs> and the players stretch at the end it was zero 100 percent cut right. off so i can go by what they say and i've talked to folks and 
all that stuff, but I haven't seen, I've literally seen zero. We'll see it in time here, but you know, I think it's going to be okay. To what level? You know, there's various levels of okay. Is it Rose Bowl okay? Possibly. Weber State's offense, and we can get into this later in the show, uh, I think the U defense is going to dominate there, but the Weber State defense, and they didn't play non-conference games last year, but you go two years ago, Jay Hill's defense, they went to San Diego State and played a 6-0 game, and they played uh-huh. a 19-13 game with Nevada. So I know it's a big sky test tonight, and that's not the same as Pac-12, but I still feel like it's probably something because Jay Hill has had defenses that Mountain West teams, good Mountain West teams, have really struggled with. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, Cal, too, didn't they? Did you already say that? Uh, I did not have the Cal score. I had uh, the they two get, Mountain West games. They gave Cal a, a, yeah. quite a battle. I know you're a Mountain West guy, but they uh, they gave Cal the battle a couple years ago. Yeah, that was four years ago. Uh, 33-20 in that game. All right, more on the Utes. And what do you think? What do you expect for the season? What are your goals? That is the question of the day. We will get to that coming up, so stay with us, Ute fans. It's 5.30 tonight on the Pac-12 Network, and the Ute pregame show right here on the Zone Sports Network with Hans Olsen and Frank Dolce starts at 4 o'clock. Hashtag college football. There are other games to check out tonight. Boise State and UCF is the headliner. 5 o'clock on ESPN. If you want a conference game, Ohio State's playing Minnesota. In the That's Big not a headliner? Eh, I was going to say. It's Ohio uh, State. Aren't they going to go roll these guys? It's still no. Ohio State, though. No. They're not. I don't think they're going to roll them. They're going to probably pick them to win, but Minnesota's got a really good program. Minnesota's That's got your Mountain much West better. bias right there. Ohio State's <laughs> playing, and Boise State is the headliner. Hey, if, it get, if I get that Ohio State-Indiana game, that 42-35 thing, I'm all about it. I just hope Minnesota hangs in there. 6 o'clock on Fox. And later tonight, after the Ute game ends on the Pac-12 Network, then Arizona State plays Southern Utah. That's at 8.30. Oh, well, then that's the headliner. What were we thinking? ASU's going to (laughs) roll SUU. (laughs) Come on. Uh, Florida State is going to honor late coach Bobby Bowden. Various tributes, on-field logos, and his famous signature on the back of the football team's helmets. So, Seminole fans have that going for them. LSU football coach Ed Orgeron said on Wednesday that all the players, coaches, along with their families, are safe after Hurricane Ida tore through the Gulf Coast this week. He said some families experienced severe damage to their homes and have been displaced by the storm that caused widespread flooding across the state of Louisiana. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. I've been around enough quarterbacks to know, you know, what they look at and, and do. And the great ones want that little extra thing that you can give them to make them even greater than they are. This kid uh, is the epitome of that. Andy Reid praising Patrick Mahomes and his work ethic right there. Mahomes, the next generation, you got to put Allen there. You got some other young quarterbacks you think are going to carry the league for a decade because obviously Mahomes. I expect week one, the Chiefs. Will be on TV in Utah. Of course, I see Mahomes. What a dumb question. The obvious answer is Zach Wilson. Your lack of respect and your repeated disrespect is just growing so old. I expect he'll be on TV week one as well. The Jets opener. And I expect he'll be playing in the Pro Bowl. 
you're in the Super Bowl, you don't play in the Pro Bowl. You know that. I know, and I'm not picking the Jets to go to the Super Bowl this year. Thank you for that uh, little (laughs) lesson of league rules. Raiders GM Mike Mayock telling reporters, John and I will both tell you that we feel like we need to be a playoff team this year, and I don't think there's any doubt about that. You guys are all going to put that in your headlines, and I understand it, but that's what the expectation is. We think we've done the infrastructure work necessary to put us in position, and we've got to take care of business. Taking care of business. Raiders a playoff team, yay or nay? Nay. They, I mean, they were in contention a good while last year. Um, Chiefs win the division. There's three wild cards out there. Well, do we like anybody else out there? As far in the division, anyway, better than the Raiders? Do you? Uh, Let's see what the Chargers can do, man. Yeah, that's so a wild close card. Losses. I know that's a wild and, card. And I love Justin Herbert, and that's my Pac-12 bias. I'll be the first to admit it. So I'm the Raiders, see I, what they can do more than worrying about one specific team. Because once you're the wild card, you're competing not just with the division, the whole conference. Uh, you know, can the Raiders get to ten and seven? Because they think ten and seven makes you a wild card. It, it may not. You may get squeezed out. So but I mean, I they have a chance. Wild card. I put them in the, in the running. So I don't know that it'll do right. it. If you Buffalo, if I had to give a yes yeah. or no, I'd probably say no. But they right. got a shot. Buffalo in the East probably wins the division, but maybe Miami could be a wild card. Jets and. Uh, Jets and Patriots going with young quarterbacks. Don't want to. Don't know if I want to pick them for ten wins right now. Carve up the competition. Well, that, all of a sudden that division is turned into a division of young quarterbacks. All right, the old quarterback is twenty-five. This is twenty, a 20, two twenty-two-year-olds, a twenty-three-year-old, and a twenty-five-year-old. I think. Yeah. Yep. Seattle Seahawks coach Pete Carroll says he's counting on left tackle Dwayne Brown playing in the team's season opener. Brown has not been practicing amid a contract dispute with the franchise. He's looking for a contract extension during the final year of his deal. The club reportedly prefers to go year to year at this point with the 36-year-old Brown. They'd also like a left tackle they could count on protecting their star quarterback. DJ and PK. Hashtag NBA. NBA informed teams have recently issued laws in both New York and San Francisco about vaccine requirements will be enforced, including for players, for members of the Knicks, the Nets, and the Warriors, unless there is an approved medical or religious exemption from taking part in them. Both cities recently passed laws requiring some level of COVID-19 vaccination in various settings. And the thing I didn't get about this, PK, is that apparently this doesn't apply to visiting teams, and I don't understand that. But, nah, I guess there's plenty of things I don't understand. But watching the stories on that yesterday, reading them, that's weird. But doesn't it impact the Jazz or whoever else is going in there as a visitor? Uh, I, yeah. Yeah, I know. You can't explain it. We can't explain this to each other. Go figure. Amidst ongoing reports that Ben Simmons wants out of Philadelphia's 76ers star center, Joel Embiid took to Twitter to fire back on reports that there's a rift between the two All-Stars. Embiid tweeted, stop using my name to push people's agendas. I love and hate drama. I love playing with Ben. Stats don't lie. He's an amazing player, and we all didn't get the job done. It's on me personally. I hope everyone is back because we know we're good enough to win. You buying that? Months after the playoffs end, he could have said this a long time ago. This isn't like new reporting. The only thing that's new is that now Simmons says he wants out. Yeah, so I think that once that Simmons said it, it became more of a story and, uh, you know, Embiid probably decompress after the season and all that stuff. And now we're getting closer to uh, 
basically training camp opens. Well, training camp opens at the end of the month, so it's right around the corner, obviously. So maybe it was on his mind now, but I don't know that it matters. I, I can see why he wouldn't want to be involved in that. I mean, that's not his place. Uh, so wash your hands of it. Hey, don't blame me. I don't want to be a part of it because you don't need to be a part of it. Management's going to do what they do, uh, really irrespective of you. And I think if I'm in, if I put myself in Embiid's place, it's like, okay, who do I get? What do I get? Right. Because if I come out and say, yeah, I want him gone too. Well, his trade value is already uh, decreasing. So now, if your star player comes out and says it, I want him gone. Then, man, what are you going to get? Twenty-five cents on the dollar at that yep. point. And the thing is. For all of Simmons' flaws, and we all know what they are with his shooting and his free throws and not wanting to shoot and all that, they were a better team when those two guys were on the floor than when Simmons was on the bench and Embiid was on the floor. So if they don't get something good back, I get they're not good enough to win it all, and that's a huge flaw in Simmons' game. And yet if you move them, you could end up worse. Well, the trade value is going down as yeah. we speak. Yes. And it's funny, you know, three years ago, such a big deal, Simmons or Mitchell. Uh-huh. Uh, what are we talking about here? This thing will be decided over the long term, not the rookie of the year. I mean, Mitchell, is, who remembers who got rookie of the year? I don't. Five years from now. I Did you remember who's the better <clears throat> player? Could you imagine if, if the Jazz called Philly and said, hey, we'll take Ben Simmons right now and we'll give you Mitchell? The freaking 76ers would throw a parade. <laughs> they would. <laughs> Executive of the year, pick the jazz pockets. Yeah. And so if you want to know who's the better player, just look at it from that perspective. And if the Sixers called and said, we'll offer you Simmons for Mitchell, the jazz couldn't hang up the phone fast enough. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you want to talk about before I go? Because I got a burger yeah. to eat over here. So that settles <laughs> the argument right there. Uh, I called up list of the NBA rookies of the year. Obviously, you know all their names, but the type of careers they have very wildly. I mean, you know Tyreek Evans. He was the rookie of the year two years after Kevin Durant and two years before Kyrie Irving. Yeah, did he get suspended? Is that his issue? He's been suspended before. Yeah, I think there's something. I mean, this still, might still be active. I've double check all that stuff. But yeah, your point is yeah. Okay. In back-to-back nice player, years, but... in back-to-back years, Damian Lillard and Michael Carter Williams, one rookie of the year. Uh, I think one guy's I'll take, career. I'll take uh, Damian. Yeah, I know, right? One guy's career is uh, outshone, outshone another. So, yeah. all right, DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Next delivery is hit high in the air to a center field. Backing up is Naquin to the track. It's gone. Big fly. Paul Goldschmidt, his second of the game, and the Cardinals retake the lead. Swung on and hit in the air to deep left center. It is high. It is far. It is gone. A Judgean blast. Aaron Judge powers one into the bullpens in deep left field. All right. Here comes the judge. Here's the pitch now. And Max hits a drive to left center field and deep. Going back, Rosario. He looks up. It is gone. A home run for Muncie. And the Dodgers strike first. It is 1-0. Highlights from around Major League Baseball. The Dodgers sweep the Braves. They win 4-3. They move into first place because Milwaukee... Wins their fourth straight. They beat the Giants 5-2. to 
So the Dodgers take over the spot, top spot, and the Giants are now leading the wild card race in the National League. Red split a doubleheader. They've got the other wild card. They're a half game in front of the Padres. And the Dodgers and Giants, well, not yet, because the Giants have to play Milwaukee today. But then, Friday, Saturday, yeah. Sunday, you ready for a showdown? Early showdown, but yeah, I mean, it's a very important series because you want to win the division to get under the one-game deal. So, I mean, I guess in September, you could call it a showdown. Still the first week of September, but very, very important games. The Dodgers start to open some distance. I don't know that they will. This is the first time they've been in first place since April. The Giants have just been so good, and they've come back to earth a little bit, but there's still time for them to rally, and they need to figure out ways to win ball games again and not think, oh, okay, we've had a good season and it's surpassed a lot of expectations because right now your expectations are to go to the World Series when you're this close. And, you know, you got a decent pitching staff and all that stuff, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, but it's a big, big deal. There's a lot of close races, you know. The Braves being swept by the Dodgers and the, the Phillies were rained out yesterday and, and uh Washington, but they've won four in a row. They're only a couple back. So here we are in the final month, and you know, this is the, the pennant stretch. Uh, this is what it's about. Dodgers and Giants have split 16 games right down the middle, 8-8. Eight and eight. This three-game series are their last three games of the regular season. They may see each other again in the postseason. We'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, they both. What, what happens is they wrap this up, and then they both play the Padres a gazillion times down the stretch. The Giants. Have yeah, the Padres only have two games remaining. I think they've got twenty-eight, and two of them are with teams. Well, one team, it's the Angels, below five hundred, mm-hmm. which is, I think the Angels are like two games under five hundred. Right. And the rest of them uh, are all against was, good teams. I was yeah. looking at a thing this morning, and you can go. I, I have the MLB app, and it and it has a whole thing on the strength of schedules of yeah. all the contending teams. And I was looking at it this morning, and that's what they were saying that they have, of, of the NL West anyway, they have the toughest schedule. They've got 10 games left with the Dodgers and six games left with the Giants, and that ought to be great news for the Cincinnati Reds. Well, it could be great news for the Padres, too. Well, if they can get to the wild card with this schedule, then they'll be a threat in the playoffs because they will have just done really well against two teams that have, what, both are on pace for 100 wins. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. you gotta got to beat the best to be the best, blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Yankees beat the Angels 4-1. to Shohei Otani, whiffing, PK. Whiffing. That's not that part game. of the story. What's going on? Well, he's only a 260 hitter, so it's not like he is putting the ball in play a lot anyway. And Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in the American League. And he struck and he out 15 in the game, he had a, so he, he had, had it going. going. Yeah. yeah, and they took him out after uh, seven. Seven innings, yep. Yeah, I had that game on. It started, it was a 5 o'clock start our time, which meant 4 o'clock over there. And they kept showing pictures of the beach, going to commercials. It was bugging me. <laughs> but uh, Garrett Cole's, you know, him and probably Bueller in the, for the Dodgers, top two guys with Degrom being out. But yeah, he was he was on top of his game, and that's what that's why they pay him huge money. Aces are there to stop losing streaks, and he did it. Shohei Otani 0 for four with three strikeouts in that one. Uh, the Mets acting GM, Zach Scott, will not join the team for the upcoming road trip. He was arrested on a charge of driving while intoxicated early Tuesday morning. He'd reportedly been at a team function Monday night at Mets owner Steve Cohen's house in Connecticut, but police found him uh, allegedly asleep at an intersection at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I would think the team function didn't go that late, but 
What happened in between, who knows. John Smoltz, uh, Al Leiter, not making in-studio appearances for Major League Baseball Network after refusing to get the coronavirus vaccine, according to multiple reports. And MLB Network's policy made it mandatory for them to be vaccinated, taking effect Wednesday, but they'll both be on the show remotely. Okay, but what happens with uh, Smoltz because he does... uh, Games. Yeah. He does, yeah. So will he be be remote or will he be in the stadium? Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's not not an MLB requirement. Right. It's a network requirement. So if he's doing games on Fox... He does it for Fox, right? Right. If he's doing games on Fox, what happens... I assume he goes to the stadium, but, you know, I don't know. Washington Nationals VP Bob Boone has informed the team that he will resign instead of complying with the COVID-19 vaccine mandate for all non-uniformed employees. He's a former MLB catcher and manager and the father of Aaron Boone and former MLB infielder Brett Boone. The Boones have quite the baseball legacy. Well, Brett Boone's son is in the Nationals organization. So, didn't Bob Boone's dad play also? Aren't we already in the third generation? So this will be the fourth generation if he makes it to the bigs? If he makes it, yeah. I don't know what level or how much of a prospect he is, but reading the story this morning, I saw that they said his son, his grandson, not, not the manager's son, the manager's brother, uh... His son yeah. is in there. So, uh, but at the same time, they were saying that he is a Bob Boone is a trusted advisor of Rizzo, the GM, and all that stuff for the Washington Nationals. So he could probably still do it, just not be on the payroll. He's seventy-three years old now. The B's he open. A, oh, he was a catcher with uh, all those great Philadelphia teams. Yeah. The Bees open a series against the Sacramento Rivercats tonight at 8 o'clock. Listen to the action beginning with the on-deck circle pregame show at 7.50 with Steve Klauke. What is Trending is brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There is no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. Our guy Lincoln Kennedy is back for another year. The Raider analyst, also the Pac-12 Networks. We will talk college and pro football with Lincoln Kennedy coming up at 8 o'clock. Yach, what's his first assignment? Weaver State, Utah. There it is. All his prep work will be on full display tonight at 8 o'clock. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Aggies and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. Huh. Huh. The new look Aggies hit the road to take on Washington State to kick off the Blake Anderson era in Logan. Catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the pregame show at 8. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ Peak in the morning, proudly presented by Mark Miller Subaru. Question of the day. College football season is here. What are your predictions? Dan says Utah by five. That is a prediction that predates you and I, PK. Ute fans love to say Utah by five. Yeah, if they only win by five tonight, that would be a disappointment. That would be a uh, red flare going up, wouldn't it? A flare, not a flag? Yeah, red flag too, sure. Red flags, red flares. 
be trouble. Travis says some teams will win and some teams will lose. Talk sports show analysts will talk about it, and we, the fans, will continue to follow the results. Look at Travis just riding the wave, unconcerned with anything. Don says games will be played, some teams will win, some teams will lose, and Utah will beat BYU. All the stuff that happens every year. You got you got the laughing emojis and the uh, yeah, thumbs up. Well, right. it can only happen once in a four-year period, though. Dusty says Alabama, LSU, and Ohio State will take three of the playoff spots. LSU? LSU? Not sure about that one. I'll give you Alabama and Ohio State. Unless Minnesota gets it done tonight. No, it won't matter. Ohio State will get in anyway. <laughs> I think they'll get in with one loss if that's what they are, unless there's uh, four other undefeated teams, which is highly unlikely. No one, literally no one goes through the Pac-12 undefeated. Hasn't happened yet. Maybe this is the year. Don't expect it to happen. David says Alabama will win the title. Yeah, but you know that's a that that's somewhat of a conclusion. I get it. Whether it's for, foregone uh, remains to be seen. But see, that's where I look at other stuff here. And my, we were talking yesterday. You you guys came on the five o'clock hour, and uh, uh, what Scotty and I were on the four o'clock hour, and we were arguing about or Utah should they change their offense and. Nick Saban said something to some coaches, so uh, Gordon was all hyped up on that. And, and I said, come on. They've, Utah's had such success. And so he said, well, you're all about winning it all. I said, yeah, but that's just at the pro level. Not all things are equal, but the pro level, at least it's more equal. There's a wide variance of colleges. So I get that the Southeast is just always going to be the top football conference. I don't think it will ever change. Because they have unreal passion and in some degree level over-the-top passion that we'll never have out here. We've got passion, but not like there. So what I'm getting at is for here, I don't really care about that stuff. Because I think if you go to the Rose Bowl out of the Pac-12, you've had a great season. I think if you go 10-2, and two, and two years ago when the Utes went 8-1, and one, and then lost Oregon. They had a great season, and they kept saying, Scotty and Gordon, saying they've got to change their offense because they haven't won the Pac-12 title. They said, well, so they lost one game, so change it. They lost one game because that's what it boils down to because the the two years that the Devils won the conference at 8-1, and that was good enough, but we've added this concocted one-game deal. So on a one-game basis, if you don't beat the other guy, yes, it's a disappointment, no question about it, but it doesn't take away from the excellent season that you had. Because he's talking, talking to me. Scotty was saying, well, you had 10 and 2, but you're finishing second. I said, Scotty, you're talking to a Sun Devil fan here. <laughs> and you think I'm going to say 10 and 2 was a bad season? In the moment, it's going to be disappointing. I fully understand that. Absolutely. And it's a one game deal, and one game's things can happen. You know, the, they say the seminal game with the merger of the AFL and the NFL was the Jets beating the Colts, right? Is that, that they beat the, that beat the Colts? Is, that is what they say, yeah. yes. And, and that was a one-game deal. Who's to say if they played a seven-game series or what have you, that, that would have happened the same way. But in a one-game deal, it's somewhat of a crapshoot. And uh, it was a crap show for Utah against 
Oregon. And I wish I would have thought of that two years ago, crapshoot versus crap show, because I like that. And they got beat. They got beat. They got drilled. They got run off the field, and that was a surprise. But they still had a successful season. And that's the way I look at it with the colleges, particularly on our side of the country, because the party is slanted towards the southeast. So if you want to take it at the highest level, it's extremely predictable. But I don't just take it at that, because there's a lot of good times along the way. And they were talking about, I said, well, I don't know that Brewer can have a better season than what Tyler Huntley had. And then Scotty recited some stats about only threw the ball 24 times. Yeah, because they were kicking the crap out of everybody that year. I, I was writing a, a, a thing for our website, and I would send it to and Yacht can back it up. I'd send it to him at halftime because the thinking thing was over. And I said, just plug in the final score. It was like every game. They just slaughtered people left and right. There was a lot of good times, and it ended on a bummer, no doubt about it. But they still went ten and uh, what eleven and two? I guess eleven, 11 and three. If you want to call the bowl game, but I, the bowl game. Every Pac-12 team has lost. That's lost the title game. Has lost the bowl game because there's a big difference between the Granddaddy and the Al- Alamo and the Holiday or whatever bowl that they put you in. So my point is that all right, fine. You could still have some great times and have a really good season, even if you don't get into that other thing that they've got called the fourteen playoff. Well, when you have the most money, which the SEC schools do, you're expected to win championships, which SEC schools have been doing. And when they get Oklahoma and Texas, I think they're going to have seven of the top ten athletic budgets in the country. They're going to be expected to win. And, you know, will. Saban is probably, you know, 85 and still winning, and so he'll be celebrated. 85? <laughs> yeah, right. And the other guys at Texas will be getting fired because they aren't winning at the level Bama is, right? And so we'll go through all of that. But to your point that there are different schools at different levels, I think for our schools here, there have been a lot of 10-win seasons. And I get over time, you know, Lavelle was coaching and BYU was doing it, and they were playing 11 games and the bowl game was 12. And then you start adding in conference title games, and so now you can play 12, 13, 14. Even Lavelle had one team that played 15 games one year. But still, how many times has a local team won 10 games and people went ho-hum? And I think there have been about 25, 10-win seasons between Utah State, Utah, and BYU. I would say once. And that was what I came up with. One time, that when BYU won 10 games the first year in Independence, yeah. the schedule wasn't very good, right. and there was a huge hangover among BYU fans from watching the Utes get into Pac-12 and them not getting in. And that, yeah. I think, is the only time I'd be willing to listen to anybody say, yeah, they won 10, but I wasn't really into it. Right, Every other time, if yeah. your team won 10, Aggies, Utes, or Cougars, you had a great time. Yeah. Tom said he had to put the schedule together on a fly, and he needed right. time. So, and understood. We gave him time. He, he told us up front this was what was going to happen, so they were going to play New Mexico State and this and that. And so, fine. They did it, and they had to have a transition. Understood. Nobody complained about it because this is the new path they were going down. And they did what they needed to do. And they got the games and they won them. They weren't that good of a team. But that's it. That's the only time. You get 10 wins, any of these three schools, 10 wins, great season. So I don't want, I don't want to discount that. It's not the highest. I understand that. But this isn't pro ball here where, yeah, it is for so many. And for the Jazz this year, too. 
you can say NBA title or bust. Nothing wrong with saying that. Doesn't mean you don't have good times along the way, because you will. There's no doubt about it. There'll be many good times this coming season. No, I guarantee it, and we all guarantee it. But at that level, and that's actually what you want at that level, you want title town or bust because that means you have high expectations you don't want to you know the sacramento kings don't have them but the jazz do and that's exactly what you want and that's at the pro level but the college level there's so many variables involved and if if the utes are playing january one rose bowl my goodness that's just absolutely awesome and so they didn't get invited to the party i guess maybe it's a little bit of a a qualifier I would put in there if the the winner, which obviously then would be, say they got to the title game, which they would need to do to go to Rose Bowl, and they lost, and the team from the north goes to the playoff. And so you you sort of backdoor the Rose Bowl then, right? Yes. You'd still be in the Rose Bowl and people You'll take still it. be excited. You'll take it, but it, but it is a same. little bit of a backdoor. It wouldn't be the same as going 12-1, and getting left out of the playoff, winning the Pac-12 title game, and going to the Rose Bowl. Right. But it, would, would, it just but, wouldn't be. But you take it, but it wouldn't be the same can, as the Devils won imagine, twice, and it wouldn't can, be the same as that. Can you imagine Mark Harlan calling a press conference like, yeah, we're not going. We'd rather go Alamo. We're handing this thing over to uh, Arizona State. Well, they're not going to. Yeah. I know. So, I mean, I don't think that they're I, – I suppose they could do it, but – Nobody's going to do that. Everybody's taking the rose. Yeah, what you what you would hope in that situation that the title game wasn't like it was with Oregon and Utah a couple years back where it was a slaughter and it was raining on the Utes literally and figuratively. And I was down there on the Utes sideline at the end of that game and there were a lot of long faces. I can still see Mark Harlan. I caught his eye as he was walking into the locker room or on, you know, in the tunnel, and everyone was disappointed. Uh, I was disappointed for them too. I did not, I did not know that they would win, but I didn't see them basically getting run off the field to the level that they did. It happened. I can't deny it, and that was their big push. Is why the, they, Utah needs to change uh, Monson and Scotty. They need to change their offense because they haven't won the Pac-12 title. So you got me there. They got beat on that game. There's no doubt about it. They did. And but still stepping back, they've had a good season. They had a good season. They've had a good program. So that's the way I view Pac-12 football. And maybe that's just me trying to uh, what uh, cover myself for disappointment on a national level. And so I'm I'm rationalizing. If somebody wants to say, "Oh, you're just rationalizing," if Scotty wanted to come back and say that, I get it. He's got some truth to it. If he didn't say it, but if he wanted to say it. Okay, I can I can buy it to a degree. I think I the only I think the only two schools in the conference who'd be rationalizing at this point would be Oregon and USC. Everybody else, I don't think anybody else really is thinking playoffs. You know, it'd be exciting, and it's not just because we're here. Do you think anyone at Iowa State? I mean, they were disappointed that they lost to Oklahoma the second time, but do they really think last year was a bad year at Iowa State? And they wanted to win the conference title game. They did, and it, it was disappointing they didn't. But they got Oklahoma the first time they played them, and they got to a point that Iowa State football over 100 years rarely gets to. That oh, had sure. to be a good season but for this, Iowa State. But that, okay, that's them. And, but, but, uh, but Iowa State's in they, There's very few Oklahoma, Oregon. Yeah, there's like five, six teams. Yeah, they're that's at a different it. level, right. Nobody else is expected to do it. Everybody else is like, wow, you that's did that? That's what I said yesterday morning at this very time slot. 
is that the reason why I wanted Utah to play a high-level schedule every year because they're a high-level program. They're not at that highest level, but they're in the next cut. And that next cut is pretty doggone good when you're winning a ton of games and you're sending a ton of guys to the NFL and at least what we believe, you're, you're running a clean program. I don't believe there's anything wrong with that. Maybe that's a soft mentality, but I believe it's a more of a realistic uh, mentality. Go in the southeast, pay uh, Jimbo Fisher, Jumbo Fisher, where he's just making $9 million. Could you imagine Kyle Whittingham making $9 freaking million dollars a year nope. at Utah? Nope. <laughs> well, and can you imagine Utah tearing down the stadium that they just improved so they can build some 85,000-seat monster like we see all across the SEC? They're going to build the swamp? They're going to build uh, you know something that Alabama or LSU has? No. Jumbo no. Fisher's official number is going to be north of $102 million when all is said and done with this wow. guy. And he's not even going to coach to the end of this deal on no. this deal. It'll be redone. If he lasts yeah. that long, yep. he'll have another deal. Yeah. So it's never going to get that. And you look at the uh, it's money talks, man. The Dodgers, we talked about it yesterday. <laughs> the payroll is $60 million more than anybody else's in the big leagues, and they just took over first place. And they've had a slew of injuries in the Trevor Bauer situation to their pitching, but yet they can recoup it because they can go get Max Scherzer and bring him in. And I'm not sure Max Scherzer in four starts has allowed a run. Uh, for the Dodgers. He's been sensational. He didn't get yeah. the win last night because they took him out. But, again, he pitched shutout ball. So uh, how many teams can do that? Well, you know? the Padres didn't. They considered it, and there have been all kinds of stories written in San Diego about how bad their record has been since the Dodgers got Scherzer and they didn't. The locker room knew, like, oh, yeah, we're not doing this. Yeah. And you, that, you can so say that's much. a soft mentality. At the same time, it's also realistic. The Dodgers are loaded and they get Scherzer? And they're already loaded? Great. Literally. Yep. I mean, they got so much money to spend, and they spend it. What did you say, $262 million, something like that? Way bigger. $266.9 million. Yeah, way bigger than... If you have a $60 million budget more than the Yankees... <laughs> You're spending cash. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm looking Come at on. it right now. They are the, the Dodgers are outspending the Padres, who've really pumped up the payroll in a way that they rarely, maybe they did in the late 90s when they went to the World Series, but they haven't done it in 25 years if they've done it at all. They are outspending the Padres by $91 million, and the Dodgers are outspending the Giants by $105 million. They're outspending the Giants by more than the Brewers' entire payroll. The Dodgers could face the Brewers and the Giants in the playoffs, and they're spending more money than those two teams combined. Yeah, good for the Brewers. I think they're 30 games over 500. Uh, yeah, so they're crushing it with the 19th really best payroll. So I think that's what you have in the Southeast. So you, ha- you have to look at it more regionally and look at what you're doing there. And there's going to be a lot of good times. I believe for BYU and Utah, I think there might be some for Utah State, but I think for BYU and Utah, and I made my predictions. Where they were published on uh, Tuesday. You can go to our website or go to KSL and check it out. Yours weren't outrageous. We can get to them. That's pretty much where they belong. We'll get to that next. Win totals for the Utes, the Cougars, and the Aggies. Stay with us. DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. 
Ready, ready. Check out, check out. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Fridays presented by Stonehaven Dental at Stonehaven Dental. They say yes. Yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible appointments. Say yes to great dental care. Visit stonehavendental.com to schedule an appointment. All right, PK, we've got the uh, question up on Facebook and on Twitter asking people for predictions for this football season. Jeff Jackson says, Weber State National Champions. That'd be awesome. I sure would, yeah. I mean, I follow Weber State to a decent degree, but I don't follow the uh, rest of the country. I can name you the traditional powers but I have no idea how they are going to be this year. I haven't spent any time on that. But uh, Weber State, we've talked about this many times. They've got a great program. Jay Hill's done a great job. They've been in contention every year uh, for the last three or four, so why not this year? So we were just talking about your predictions. They're up at 1280thezone.com. People can read them. I got them right in front of me, and you were were me. You were highly logical. I was looking for something outrageous. I think I'm more conservative in my predictions. Well, you actually said at the end of BYU, you said, going conservative, the pick is 8-4. and And I thought, that is conservative because the pick is 9-3. and But if you were going to say going conservative, I'm like, well, then you got to say 8-4. and Because 9-3, and you know, by the book in Vegas, and when are they going to be favored? By the book, it's 9. So if you want to go conservative, 8-4 and is a solid pick. Now, you do say uh, good health yeah. and a few lucky bounces can lead to nine or ten wins. I mean, when you try to pick 12 games at once, there are all kinds of things you can't possibly factor in. And I brought this up on the, uh, the hour yesterday. Actually, Scotty brought it up on your hour. He was saying, well, yeah, the USC game looks really hard right now. And if you're picking right now, you would pick USC. But you and I both know from following USC, USC has high hopes every year. And if they lose to Stanford... And Utah and Notre Dame are 3-3. Three and three. That thing could get away from them, and that game might not be nearly as difficult as it looks. Now, if they beat Stanford and Utah, even if they lose to Notre Dame, if they're 9-2 and two or 10-1 and one going into that BYU game, well, then that's going to be a really hard game. And sitting here right now, there would be no reason to pick BYU. You would pick USC. So, yeah, I don't make individual game predictions right. in preseason but BYU looks good enough and the way the schedule is lining up we're not looking for the wins we're looking for the losses no there's a bunch of games we assume they're going to win I assume they're going to beat Arizona and apparently so does everybody else they're 12 and a half point favorites Uh uh-huh I look at it to when I make my preseason predictions I don't pick individual wins and losses Oh, they're going to win this game. They're going to lose that game. Certainly, I account for the schedule, but I look more about the team itself as opposed to the opponent because I want to forecast what level do I believe in their talent. Is it a 500-level talent? Is it, you know, 7-5? and five? 
Well, we've heard too much about their level of talent, and we've seen some of these guys. I mean, they've got some key guys back, and we've seen too much from their talent to think that this should be a 500 team. Uh, we were talking in the last segment that if you get to 10 wins, it doesn't matter if you're the Aggies, the Utes, or Cougars. If you get to 10 wins, it's a good season. But I think conversely, we've seen enough out of this team that if they end up at 6-6, six and six, that's just going to be a disappointment. Now maybe when we see how the games play out, and they got robbed because of a bad call here, and they were down to their fourth-string quarterback, which did happen once. <laughs> they, they were the, the first... So the first or second? No, it was the second year I was here, I think. They got down to, uh, in the early 90s, they got down to their fourth-string quarterback. And at that point, you give teams a pass. But assuming this is a normal season, if BYU ends up at 6-6, six and six, that'll be disappointing. And for all the tough schedules they've had to open up, they're heavy favorites over Arizona. And South Florida at home, at minimum, they need to be 2-2 two and two coming out of September. And if they get Utah or ASU, and both those games are at home, if they can get an upset in either one of those games, and I expect they'll be underdogs in both of them on a Vegas point spread, but if they win either one of them, then they're 3-1 and one and they're really set up. I mean, Utah State looks like a rebuilding year to me. So that's 4-1 and one and you got Boise State coming in and you've beaten them two years in a row. And they got a new coach. I think things really set up if they can get out of the month 3-1. and one. All right, he's got, uh, we got some technical difficulties with PK. We'll get him hooked up again, uh, and we'll get to his Ute prediction coming up at 8.30 as well and where he thinks the Utes are going to end up. Next, Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network's Raider, Va- Raider analyst and uh, one of our favorites. He's going to join us next right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Join Scotty and Hands Friday, September 3rd from 10 to 2 at Mountainland Supplies Tool Days Tailgate Party. Get great deals on Milwaukee, Husqvarna, Fall Tech, and many more. Win great raffle prizes like Utah Jazz tickets, SLB suites, and free power tools. All at Mountainland Supplies Tool Days Tailgate Friday, September 3 at 1505 West, 130 South in Orm. Friday, September 3rd. That's tomorrow, people. 1505 West. 130 South in Orem. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Hit us up with your predictions. If you want to get on the record, how's it going to go? Now's the time. Now's the time to let us know what you think of the Utes with Game 1 tonight against Weber State. DJ and PK, it is time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy. On the Smart Rain guest line, it is no secret that Utah is in an extreme drought. That's why Smart Rain is a solution for any commercial property concerned about water consumption while managing irrigation. Find out more at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning. Welcome back for another season. Good morning, gentlemen. Happy football season to you and yours. And, and um, I'm in Salt Lake City right now, and it's been warm. I, I can't remember the last time when I was here, it was this warm, this many consistent days. And the first day I got here was actually very humid, so uh, surprising. Uh, but it's good to be here and good to be with you guys. Yeah, it's been a warm, smoky summer here. We've been choking on the smoke from the California fires, so it's, a, it's been yeah. an unusual deal. All right, so I am curious uh, what you think. The Ute fans have a lot of questions about quarterback and Charlie Brewer transferring in, but Jake Bentley transferred in from South Carolina. That didn't work out. Charlie Brewer transfers in from Baylor. Uh, there is a little bit of fear that maybe he's put up the 9,000 yards passing against inferior Big 12 defenses. What do you think? What kind of quarterback play is Utah about to get? 
Well, you know, let's let's stay with what we do know instead of talking about the unknown. I mean, Witt's programs have always been what run and run and uh, play defense, right? So I don't think we get away from that. To be honest with you, I think you still have the ability with a big, powerful offensive line, which the Utes have, and the number of running backs they can go to. That you know, you can kind of usher in the new quarterback and get. And what helps him is the fact that you know Burra has had starts and has had experience. Now, regardless of what you say, the level of talent compared to, you know, the Big 12 and the Pac-12, uh, it is what it is. But, you know, it looks like it's going to be a pretty good opportunity. I think Utes are a strong football team. I think they're capable of taking the South. And I'm not just saying that because I'm doing the game. I think they have that capability with that roster they have in place. The one thing that surprises me, and you're right absolutely about Whittingham's program, about the running the ball, but – you look at their depth chart, and they got three oars at the running back position, which means that they've got four guys. So uh, it's uh, half full, half empty. You got four guys that are really good, or you got nobody who's emerged. How do you look at it? <laughs> I like it. Always a glass half half full, huh? Kind of guy is that? Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> That's not me. Well, <laughs> well, I will say this. You know, here's the thing. Um, because this, you know, college football doesn't have an exhibition season, as you guys know. So these are the type of games where you kind of get it out now. And talking with uh, Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator yesterday, he, he talked about all four of these backs are going to get the football, and they're going to try to figure, you know, what it out, what what they've got. You know, Micah Bernard and T.J. Pledger are kind of the same guys. He said, um, but you know, you've got somebody. Um, actually, I'm sorry, t- take that back. It's wrong guys. I'm looking at the wrong depth chart. Sorry, I apologize for that, guys. But you know, um, talking about these these running backs that they have, that Tavon Thomas is more of a thumper. Uh, Chris Curry is the guy who's running between the uh, the runs between the tackles. They've got a lot of guys that they can go to and try out. But here's they only have one football. There's only one football, so there's only so much that you can go around. So these are the types of games where you're trying to get a feel for who's what, who can do what at what level. And if they take advantage of Weaver State very early in the game and it becomes a runaway, we'll see all these guys and, and more uh, from this roster. So when you talked to him, did you get the feeling that any one of the four had an edge, or was he a poker player and he held those cards back and you have no idea how he ranks them in his mind right now? I think I want to say it's uh, Micah Bernard is number one, and T.J. Pledger is right, right, really close with them at number two. Uh, it depends on what they want to do. Now, there's no doubt in my mind that that the Utes uh, feel that they can overpower the Wildcats um, and and wear them down, especially with their size and their depth. So. You know, it's anyone's guess on how they're going to, you know, finagle or how they're going to take advantage uh, of Weaver State um, in, in this game. But they want to try to they want to try to utilize all of them because not only do they have a number of good running backs that they can run the football with, but they've got some damn good tight ends. And they have, you know, they with their package, they can toss the ball around. They can run a lot of twelve and thirteen personnel, which means they can look like they're going to run the ball and throw the ball to play action. So they've got a lot of options working for them right now feel the same way uh, as far as the offensive line because Kyle Whittingham in his weekly press conference on Monday wasn't saying that there was a commitment since starting five. So I'm wondering, do they, you know, they use this game to see where they're at and solidify things next week when the competition and the emotion ramps up when they play the Cougars in Provo? Now, I will say this. The only thing about the offensive line is that they've got some guys that are, might be, might not play tonight due to concussion protocol 
and other circumstances. So let's exactly let's say somebody for, for Jaron Kump, who they're very high on, um, and thinks that he could be a player one day. He might not dress up because there's some there's some uh, you know some uh, doubts there that he might not. And then there's a couple other guys on the offensive line that might not play tonight if they don't get through concussion protocol and everything else. So um, that's the only question mark when it comes to offensive line. Overall, they feel solid in their strength and their ability once they get their guys back, whether it takes an additional week or so on and so forth, that one, they, they feel that they can handle Weber State, but two, they, can, they feel that they can get through and be able to develop some younger guys and get some younger guys playing time and still be okay. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Pac-12 Networks uh, analyst and Vegas uh, Raiders. I still can't say the Las Vegas Raiders, man. Just, <laughs> just say the Raiders. The man. Raiders, the I Raiders. know, right? <laughs> Drop all geographical references. Let them bounce around wherever they want to go. And a Raiders exactly. analyst. And we want to get to NFL with you in a second. But uh, handicap the Pac-12 South. Arizona State, obviously, at minimum, it's a distraction. Maybe it's one they'll overcome, but this deal with the coaches and guys having to leave the team, that's a distraction. Uh, USC, I know you think they've been overhyped. You've told us that before. Are they overhyped this year? Where do the rank the top of the Pac 12 South and throw UCLA in there? Is Chip Kelly about ready to get going, or uh, is Chip Kelly about ready to get going? ASU gets a little bit of the edge over the Utes as far as the top, mainly because they have more consistent and, and more, they know more about their quarterback play. Quarterback play makes such a difference in this game, as you guys know. There's still some intangibles when it comes to the Utes. I think the Utes have a very strong roster. I think they have a very good team. I, as I said earlier in the interview, I still think they are a team that is capable of winning the South. And they might be able to take that next step to where they actually win the Pac-12 collectively as a whole because they won the South before so I, I think they're number two. Number three is a little bit of a toss-up. I haven't seen enough or felt enough secure to put USC there. I still believe that, you know, with with the offense that they run and a lot of the things that they're doing, it's not really indicative of their strengths and personnel, but we've got to see how these things come together. UCLA showed a strong running game. Obviously, when they were playing against Hawaii, we'll see more of them when they play against LSU, what they're capable of. But I really think the two top teams – in this, in this, uh, the South Division or ASU and, and Utah. And going in the North, you know, Oregon gets a lot of run, but I actually mm-hmm. pick Washington, and I think that Washington, and it's hard to say that they're underrated because they are the Huskies and they get a lot of respect, but you look at the quarterback back, all five linemen back, top four running backs back, tight end. Auten looks like another one. They've had a number of great tight ends there. So I really like them. What do you think about the North? Well, I, I feel the same way, of course, and I'm trying to be a little slightly – I'm trying to be non-partial because I'm a dog, but it is what it is. Um, the thing is, I think uh, Washington and Oregon both have good teams, and I, I think Oregon has you know, a little bit on the, better as far as the pass rush in the front seven than Washington has. But Washington over the last couple of years has been known as defensive back you, so they can shut down anyone's passing attack. It's whether or not they can stop the run. You know, here's what I, here's what I appreciate about college football guys is that we have such rivalries built into such, such things for the most part in college football that we can look forward to Oregon versus Washington game, SC versus LA. I, I, I'm hoping that one day we can truly develop and it might be, you know, Utah, Washington. It might be, you know, Utah, Arizona State or whatever. But get those rivalries built into where you can look for, look forward to those games that they mean a whole lot more, if you know what I'm talking about. Um, and for the most part, it, you know, a rivalry is not considered a rivalry if it's one-sided. 
So if one t- one school has had its you know way or control over another for years, and, and it's been you know you can't really explain on it. It is what it is. But for the most part, you know, you want to see these things go back and forth. You want to see the two teams that are vying or that we're referring to are competing for a championship or putting themselves in position for a championship, and their rival is standing in the way from them getting there. But and I think that's what you have out of the North. That's why I bring that up. I think you've got a collision course between Washington and Oregon. And there are going to be some disruptions. It'll, it'll be maybe a Cal, maybe a Stanford. There might be somebody else who steps in there and knocks one of these teams off or catches them off guard to really make things hard for them. But we are on a collision course for those two teams to meet, and they'll probably decide the outcome of the North. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Pac-12 Network analyst and an analyst for Raider Radio Broadcast with Brent Musburger. I am curious, as a dog... As a guy who's got those deep Washington roots, having played there, when you see what Oklahoma and Texas did to the Big 12, do you think there's any chance USC, Oregon, and Washington would ever do that to the Pac-12, or do you think that's uh, people having nightmares and they need to calm down? As you know, in my opinion, guys, as long as we have these arguments about expanding the playoff and what that can do, I think we're on a we're on a course to eventually see a change in college football. I believe that. In all honesty, instead of having things like the FBS and FCS, we're going to have a tier system. There are very few universities in this, in this country that can stand alone on their own without a TV deal. And what I'm talking about is places like Texas, places like Notre Dame, places like BYU. Um, and, and, and you can even make the argument for SC. Now you can make the argument for Alabama if you want, that are, that are capable of standing on their own without a TV deal. Places like that, I think what you would put on in, in my, in sort of my mind of thinking about things would be what I consider like a tier one. There's tier one teams. There's your Oregons, your Washingtons, your Utahs. You, those are your tier ones. Okay. Then you'll have your tier twos, which will have places like, you know, Colorado State and, and, um, you know, um, uh, San Diego State. I'm, I'm thinking of the teams, Fresno State, off the top of my head. Then a tier three, lower, and so on. And then you'll have your championship systems for those teams in place because that's where the big money is going to go to. You're going to see college football take a, take a, uh, a parallel seat to what the NFL did as far as its new, um, uh, TV package, media streaming. That's the future. Okay, that's what we're heading into. College football is going to get eventually do it. So now you see universities partnering up with other powerful universities to try to generate maximum interest and set themselves apart from other people. That's what Oklahoma and Texas did by leaving the Big 12. Now the Big 12 is going to have to be absorbed by the other ones. And so you've already seen preliminary what the other conferences have done by, say, the collaboration with the ACC, the Big 10, and the Pac-12. I'm a guy who believes Power 5 teams should play only Power 5 teams. I might be in the minority when it comes to that, but I believe that that's the way that it should go because that's a true test of power. If that's the case, that's along the lines of that whole tier one, tier two, tier three philosophy that I'm thinking about. That's why my thought process is going towards that. Yeah, I think it's not only logical, I think it's needed and necessary. We need to get to that point sooner rather than later. Yeah, you're probably right. But see, the thing is, is during the current climate, there's just so much money that's being generated by, you know, by the NCAA, NC2A and, every, and all the TV uh, um, networks and stuff that are involved with it that they're not ready to part ways with that. The NFL did what they did as far as saying we're going to step away from places like AT&T and DirecTV because 
We know that we have Amazon. We know that we have, you know, NBC, Peacock, all the big networks and their streaming services, which allows us to ramp up how much money we're going to charge them because they're going to end up backing on to the consumer. College football is not there ultimately yet. Lincoln Kennedy joining us. Let's talk about your other job as the uh, Raider analyst. We just saw the uh, quotes from Mike Mayock, the Raider GM, telling reporters, John and I will both tell you that we feel like we need to be a playoff team this year, and I don't think there's any doubt about that. You guys are all going to put that in your headlines, and I understand it, but that's what the expectation is. When I hear a GM say that, I think that conversation has already happened with an owner, and they've been put on notice. Am I, I out over my skis? I, I think no, 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 no. I mean, look, I agree with you. I think it's 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 about time that they do put a playoff team on on the mark. I mean, you've had your chances to build the roster. You turned over the roster. Everyone made exceptions. But now the window is starting to close. And the main reason why the window is starting to close for the Raiders is because they have to figure out what they're going to do with Derek Carr. The, the guaranteed money is over. So, the you know, from future, do they commit, you know, the big resources, which is anywhere from 35 to $45 million, for a starting quarterback uh, these days, um, or do they go away uh, and, and look for someone else? So that's one of the biggest question marks there. Two, it has to pay, you know, it eventually has to turn around and show positive results for an owner committing $100 million to a, to a coach and allow him to turn over the roster, get rid of future Hall of Famers like Khalil Mack, you know, and stuff like that to, to make it, you know, to make this team their own. Um, and, and it's anyone's guess. It's hard for me to predict, and I'm an analyst. I've been involved with this team you know, for the last eight years to tell you exactly where they are because right now I don't know. In the final preseason game against the 49ers guys, they left 32 guys at home. Those 32 starters, okay, they didn't play in the final preseason. They didn't play throughout the preseason. So I'm only speculating on what we did or what the Raiders did last year as far as what they're able to do this year offensively and defensively because they did not use all their guys. I don't know how well or how, you know, how, how deeply understood the system is, Gus Bradley's new system is, by the possible defensive starters. Yeah, I used to watch the preseason to an extent, but now around the league, it's like they don't play. So I'm, my interest in it has just dropped off just tremendously. What do you think about that as far as the preseason not taking advantage or not wanting to, obviously, to have these guys in because it's widespread now? Well, I, I had the conversation with um, with um, my the, the crew here, uh, the Pac-12 crew last night when we were talking about. Now, for for the most part, there were three teams that did not play their starters at all this preseason. Three teams that I that I remember, if if I'm not mistaken. I think the Seattle Seahawks, the Los Angeles Rams, and the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. Okay, they did not play their starters at all. Okay, I don't agree with that. Now, I will say that. There are guys who don't necessarily need preseason. Aaron Rodgers doesn't need preseason, okay? But if he has a young first or second year or third year receiver, they should take some snaps. There's no reason why he's sitting on the bench. You see what I'm saying? And that's my philosophy with the Raiders. I didn't mind that Derek Carr didn't play, okay? I would have liked to see Marcus Mariota to show what he could do, either put on film as a trade value or, you know, be able to understand what he can do. I didn't mind Nathan Peterman out there because he's, he's there. But what I didn't like is the fact they didn't play Henry Ruggs or they didn't play Brian Edwards. And Brian Edwards, you know, for the most part, coming out of South Carolina's last year's draft, missed pretty much the entire year due to injuries. So he hardly played. So what are you saving him for? And Henry Ruggs struggled versus press coverage, struggled versus understanding defenses and how to get open. So why not have him going out there full speed? I did not like that. 
Um, and, and so to, to answer your question, for me, it's about there are guys that should get some lather, should understand the routine, should go out there and go through the ritual of getting ready for a game. You don't have to play the whole game. You know, you don't have to play, you, but you go out there and understand what it means, the game mode, and put them out there in situations that you cannot duplicate in practice. And I think you're missing the boat when you do that. You're playing a very dangerous game when you're trying to curl, you know, hold and control these guys or, or protect these guys and, when, and, th- and think that when you come, in the Raiders' case, September 13th, when they go out there against the Baltimore Ravens on Monday night, that you could just turn it on like a light switch and everything will go well. I've lived my entire life in the western side of the U.S., and I am one of the few people who has West Coast bias, but I got a bad case of it. Having said that, I don't think I've ever been more interested in the AFC North and the AFC East. The AFC East with so many young quarterbacks, and clearly Buffalo's got something, but I don't think they're alone. And then in the AFC North, is Roethlisberger got one more year in him? They were 11-0. and uh, The Ravens, well... Maybe J.K. Dobbins shouldn't have been playing in uh, preseason games. But obviously the Ravens have something going. Cincinnati's got a young quarterback. Mm, got to get him back and healthy. Cleveland is finally looking like they're good. Do you buy any of those teams as real challengers to the Chiefs? Yes. <laughs> Which ones? Yeah. Well, I mean, you can take your pick. I think Baltimore's going to be a, a challenge for the Chiefs. I think uh, Pittsburgh could very well be a challenge for the Chiefs. But here's the thing. You don't want to have Ben throwing it, you know, five, six hundred times all around the field. You want to have a running game. Get back to what you know. And I think Pittsburgh can do that, uh, especially with the way they drafted and, and, and if they can put the, find a way to piece their offensive line together. Um, but I think Baltimore is a threat. I think Cleveland is a threat with that two-headed running back system. And if they take the, they continue to take the pressure off of Baker, Baker Mayfield and allow him to make throws, I think they have the defense. I think they have the offense to do it. I think Cincinnati will surprise a few people. I'm not saying they're going to win the division. But I'm saying that they can beat a couple of people here and there just to disrupt the sort of flow. I think the AFC East in general is going to be competitive. Um, uh, you know, you've got Buffalo. New England, now that they've got their quarterback and what everything else they surround the Browns, can be disruptive as well. And Miami is still in the fold, even though I, I'm, I'm starting to lose more and more um, uh, confidence and to attack by Eloa. So uh, I don't think we'll know where they're going to go with that. Um, but anyways, to answer your question, I, I don't think it's a clear-cut runaway thing for the Kansas City Chiefs. And I also believe, knowing this because I experienced it, and what they call Super Bowl hangover. And I'm not saying that the Chiefs aren't going to you know, be capable, but teams in the past coming off a Super Bowl loss haven't fared well the following year. And the Chiefs are right in that sort of, sort of segue, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So, like, uh, I'm fascinated in the way the game is going now in the NFL, and especially the run on quarterbacks. It seems like every team is trying to get one, and so I wonder if these kids are overinflated in their draft positions, and should they go as high as they go because it's just a run on quarterbacks almost virtually every year, this past season being no exception. And it looks like you're going to have three or four, maybe five, when it's said and done, that the rookies are playing. What's your stance as far as if you're taking this quarterback high, and we know and with the Jaguars, Jets, uh, and obviously the Patriots, possibly with the Bears, and I'm leaving somebody else out. Oh, 49ers. Uh, yeah, yeah. That that all those guys. It looks like when we get to October, all these guys would be playing. What do you think about that? Not surprised. You know, the the thing is, is the modern day NFL 
is trying to strike while the getting is good. There are a lot of teams out there, in my opinion, that are a quarterback away from really making a run. One of them is the 49ers. They're a quarterback away. Look, when Jimmy Garoppolo has played and started, he's been good. The problem is he can't finish the season. He's been often injured. So you had to go with a backup plan. And that's why, in my opinion, the 49ers gave away their future, rationed off their future, then jump up to take Trey Lance because they believe that they've got an athletic guy, enough, enough of athleticism to put them over the hump. Their roster is pretty much well put together. They need a quarterback to sort of put that over the, the top. Same thing goes with the Rams. The reason why the Rams made the trade for Matthew Stafford is not like they went out and were able to get a new quarterback. They got a good quarterback who's been in the league for a while who understands it because they believe that they're just a quarterback away from making a run. There's no surprise in my mind. To further your point, the reason why a lot of teams, especially this past year, have jumped on it is because now in today's NFL by business standards, you've got maybe a four, three to four year window to where you really have to make a championship run. And if you don't make that championship run within there, then you're going to have to go over the top and pay your quarterback $40, $45 million like that, that you see the going rate for the starting quarterbacks. That's what's going to happen, and that's what's going to end up messing you up because now you can't keep all those other great players around because you have to let somebody go. You have to make a, make a quarterback thing. So, you know, the reason why, you know, Trevor Lawrence goes number one to Jacksonville because Jacksonville needed a quarterback. They were tired of playing the quarterback carousel with the other guys they had in play, and they need a franchise. And besides that, when it comes to the business, you know, the, the true identity of an NFL is demonstrated by the, the, the charisma of its quarterback. So Justin Fields will eventually take over in Chicago, in my opinion. Mark Jones has already taken over in New England. You see what I'm saying? Uh, Zach Wilson has already taken over for the Jets. This is just the way the NFL goes and likes to do business. Well, Lincoln, we look forward to talking to you all uh, all season long, every week, again this year. Thanks for coming on, and we will talk to you again next week. Guys, good to be with you. I'm looking forward to it. It should be fun. Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network Analyst and Raider Radio Analyst, working with the ageless Brent Musburger. We'll get Brent Musburger stories out of him another week. Oh, yeah. He, you he know there's a million of them, man. That's for sure. <laughs> Brent, <laughs> Brent Musburger is one of a kind. In his 80s and still crushing it. So, oh, All right. DJ and PK, coming up next, we are giving away tickets to see Utah and Weber State tonight. So stay tuned. That's in our next segment. Also coming up, uh, PK's got his call him out. We went over BYU earlier in the show. Uh, win predictions, win total for this year. He's got the U total uh, as well in this column, and we will get to that next. Stay with us. DJ and PK. We've got a poll question up at Twitter, too. Vote at David DJ James. How many games are the Utes going to win this year? Go vote, and we will update you on the other side. Stay with us. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. Blake Anderson, head coach at Utah State. This guy who's coached a lot of quarterbacks and ran a lot of offenses. What are the two or three things you need to see from a guy to give him the nod and say, okay, you're going to be the guy? It's not about stats at this point. It's about a guy that shows the ability to prepare the right way all week long, be consistent on a daily basis, and then protect the ball and, and stay within the system on game day. We just felt like that with the injury we had to Bonner and how much time he missed spring and summer that we've seen a glimpse of what both can do but the best way to really be thorough is just give ourselves time. I'm not going to play two quarterbacks all season but I'm perfectly fine doing that Saturday if that's what I need to do to help give both the best opportunity to kind of prove what they can do in a live setting. Hanson Scotting weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. And PK, it's that time. Yeah. yeah. They're on social media. We announced it earlier this morning. Announced it yesterday. There's somebody who wants to go to that Utah-Weber State game. Who's about to I win? do, I do, I do, I do, I do. Who's about to win free tickets? I don't know. You have a press pass. That's an excellent question. We don't know. Turns out it's going to be caller number 12, but we don't know who caller 12 is, but now's the time to find out. 855-340-ZONE. And something that Scotty, he put this on social media, we're going to give away tickets to every home game for Weber State, Utah, BYU, and Utah State all year long. So that means oh, yes! people need to listen. Yes, you need to be listening. But he won't be giving away tickets tomorrow because BYU's on the road, Utah State's on the road, yeah, and Utah and Weber State will have already played. Just moving forward. You motored right through that. Wow. <laughs> All right, we'll keep it tuned here to the zone. We don't know when Scotty is going to have us give them away. Will it be on Fridays before Saturday games? Will he spread them out during the week? Scotty is mysterious in this way. Just listen all day. There it is. All right, we know we're giving away tickets right now. 855-340-ZONE. 855-340-ZONE. Caller 12. Yach will now be busy for the next couple minutes finding out who wins the tickets to tonight's game. 5.30 the kickoff. It's on the Pac-12 Network, followed by Arizona State and Southern Utah at 8.30. And the big games, depending on what part of the country you grew up in, are Boise State and UCF, 5 o'clock on ESPN, Ohio State and Minnesota, 6 o'clock on Fox. But commercial breaks, or if you got the second screen going, you're going to go for two screens or three tonight, PK? Tonight, no, I'll just have the one because I'll be locked down on the Utes. Locked down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll switch around, but I'm... It, it, it's like yeah. the Utes are the Jazz. <laughs> right. BYU's the Jazz. Uh, so we've got to – that's our bread and butter. We've managed to do this thing for a good long time, and we want to continue to do it. So I better be all things BYU-Utah Jazz and uh, go That is there. where the bread done yeah. gets buttered. I mean, it's clear. It's obvious. Yes. Right? Slathered so, even. Yeah. I mean, I haven't missed a game in – who knows how long when they're playing. Yep. If, if I'm covering a game and they're both playing, then I'll have the computer out for sure on the other one because I have to. And it's, it's, it's an absolute requirement. So that, that's, that's the plan. I'll switch around a little bit. And uh, I, mean, I expect Utah to be able to handle these guys comfortably. So, you know, maybe I'll miss a play or two. But even at that, I'm so intrigued what they're going to do on the running back deal because this competition – is going to be all game. And I don't know that it'll be settled tonight. So it may not uh, be. I mean, certainly it took three games last year to identify the guy. By the third I, game I by the third game everybody knew. I don't think it did. I think they knew it after the first game. Well they, they sure didn't act like it in the second. I know. But I think they knew. I, I get your point, but they wanted to still give the other guys the chance. They didn't want to just go one game, that's it, you're out. You're buried in the depth chart because you're going to transfer. Now, they ultimately did anyway. <laughs> uh, so, uh, how are they going to handle it? Ty Jordan's, the guy, who, yeah, Ty Jordan's the, carries last year went 7, yeah. 10, 27. And the second game was at Washington, and he went 10 carries for 93 yards. And they lost the game, and he did have a fumble. Um, but it was surprising that he yeah. didn't have 15 carries. The fumble is going to just make you go crazy, particularly if you're yeah. a young guy and you don't you haven't earned the trust yet. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I I think I, I know it didn't reflect in the category and the mm-hmm. ca- carries, but I think they knew or at least had a strong idea 
this guy, this is going to be our guy. I don't know that they get to that point tonight. Well, we'll see. It's so, up to the guys. You know who who breaks big runs. You know who has the second effort, picks up two more yards, gets the first down. Because we all know Kyle's referenced it a million times. Run violently. You know, don't let the first guy bring you down. So when it takes the second and third guy to get you down, you run through the contact, you pick up two or three more yards. That's what Kyle's looking for. Yeah, or, or have another gear protection and, and other stuff that, too. Yeah, sure. Uh, and and the the point I'm making here is the reason why I'll be locked down on this game even more, even if the score doesn't reflect it, because who's ever getting the carries in the fourth quarter will be just important to him and his playing time as who's ever getting the carries in the first quarter. Yeah, absolutely. You got to put it on film. Oh, uh, we got a winner, Yach. Who won the tickets? You can stop calling. Utah Weber State tickets are gone. <laughs> well, they're they're also going to be giving tickets away at twelve thirty and two thirty today. So stay tuned for that. But our winner on this show is Nico. So congratulations to Nico. Nico's going to the game. All right, twelve thirty with Scotty and Hands. Lunchtime, and then two and then two thirty on the big, the big show. show yeah. Got to go on the early side so you have a chance to get there at five thirty. Well, yeah, and the pregame show starts. I was going to say the pregame's so. at four. So. Yeah. All right, PK, you got your uh, you got your calling up with your predictions for the Utes and the Cougars and the Aggies. We went over the Cougars in the uh, seven o'clock hour. If you missed it, you can listen uh, at twelve eighty zone dot com. Everything is up, and it'll be at the end of hour number two. Uh, <clears throat> end of hour number two. Yach, you already have that posted. Close to having it up. Okay, it'll be up in a minute at 1280thezone.com, and you can hear our thoughts on uh, PK's predictions on BYU. You can read his column at 1280thezone.com as well. Now, you've got your prediction uh, in this one column. You hit all all three of the schools. Uh, for the Utes, cutting right to the uh, chase here at the end, because there's a big explanation. If you're a Ute fan, you want to read the whole thing, breaking down different parts of the roster and all that. But at the end, you say, another 8-1 and one is possible, if not improbable, Overall, the pick here is nine and three, and I think this is uh, similar to what you did with BYU. Uh, I think nine and three is certainly the right ballpark, and I think you went uh, one game conservative. It's probably not as clear cut as BYU because I think there's three games where the Utes will either probably or maybe possibly be underdogs. USC, Oregon, and I don't know what the ASU point spread will be. We'll have to see when we get there how both teams are playing. Seems like that point spread could go either way. But other than that, I think they're going to be favored in the other nine games. And, you know, maybe BYU or UCLA, maybe got somebody else in mind who could, who could push him. I mean, there are some games that are more swing games and not total locks. But I think if ASU is more of a swing game and not a total lock either. Agreed. Yeah. Uh, at no point, at no point, unless I see it, will I pick anybody to go nine and zero in the conference. Until sure, I see right. It. I'm not going down that road. And and so. I get eight and one is possible because I agree, but I wouldn't pick eight and one. I think I pick seven and two. Well, eight and one because nine and zero has not happened. Eight <laughs> you and go one eight and one. Is, right. Eight and one is the best. So I put that as the best because in my mind, nine and zero is not conceivable. It has not happened. They've had some good teams, and those teams haven't gone nine and zero, right? I mean, that's some really good teams that have not gone nine and zero. Got teams that have gone to the playoff have not gone nine and zero, right? So I put that out. So the best possible in my mind is eight and that's if everything goes right except for one loss obviously (laughs) and with that in mind i put the utes a peg below that 
Okay, so when you go nine and three, are you thinking seven and two in league with a loss to BYU, or are you thinking six and three in league, which suggests third well, in the South because they've lost to the Devils and the Trojans and the Ducks? Yeah, but the six and three can get it done too. Six and three has gotten teams to the Commerce Title game. I just think SC with the schedule of not playing Oregon and Washington has the right? advantage. <laughs> That's a significant advantage right. this time around. 100% it is. So it's hard to go away from that. And that has nothing to do with Utah. That has everything to do with the schedule. You're not playing the team that or the teams that everybody believes is the top 2. Most people think Oregon, Washington, I flip-flop that order. We'll see how it plays but out. But either right? way. But that's a major advantage. Now sure. the Utes don't get Washington. Right. Right. And two years ago, the Utes didn't play Oregon, and USC did, and USC fans will tell you, well, that was the difference between Utah going to the Pac-12 title game instead of USC. Sure. So this is what happens when you go to 12 team leagues or bigger. You're going to start having buys, and the schedules aren't going to be even. So that's, that's the deal. Deal with it. I, I go conservative with my picks, so I flip between ten and two, nine and three. But when I make preseason predictions, not week to week game predictions, that will be made obviously during the week. But this is well in advance, so I'm looking at it ten and two, nine and three. I always, I always go. That's just my nature. Always go conservative on the preseason picks. The but, preseason pick but you like may to have be, no connection to the week-to-week pick either. But you like to be bold, but not uh, in this case. But, I, but you got to be realistically bold. <laughs> you just can't be bold for bold's sake. <laughs> Why not? It's radio. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess i got to have credibility here. I just but you're can't. PK. People think I, a lot of people think I just make up stuff as it is anyway. Well, we, we screw around and we make stuff up. But when we're being serious, I, I, ha- I have to just be exactly that. So I have to have some measure of credibility. Not to say that I'm going to be right, because these are preseason. They're predictions. Your prediction, Bob's prediction, Je- Hatch's prediction, the man in the moon's prediction, the lady on the moon's prediction. They're just predictions. That's all. Yep. And we will revise them as the season goes along. We will see teams collapse. We will see teams take off. We will see teams get hit by injuries. So there's lots of reasons to flip what we think. Well, yeah, but I can remember. Go, uh, let me let me just say this. A few years back, I made a. I, I do this every year. The week before, the week of the season, I publish it on our website, publish it in KSL, and then people go back and forth. You're an idiot, blah blah blah. I get all that, and I normally I never respond to that because they're they're predictions. I mean, I, I don't expect to be right. If I'm right 50% of the time, good for me. Well, the one time I went uh, Utah State, I think I put I picked them uh, like 6-6. Six and six. And that college football gal, she's tweeted at me many times. She laid into me, man. <laughs> and, so, and she direct messaged me a bunch of times. So I actually got it dead on. Whatever it was, I don't remember what it was. But I got it dead on. And I waited till after the season. She says, you're going to eat crow, blah, 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 blah. And I, t- I tweeted her back when I nailed it. I said, man, that crow tasted just like steak to me. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and we've had good back and forth. He just, she, it wasn't like it was venomous by any stretch. Uh, it wasn't personal. And so uh, I did go back. And she said, yeah, yeah, you were right. Well, and we had a good laugh about it. But 
Take them for what it's worth. I, I, I Don't bet on them, that's for sure. I wouldn't bet on them. <laughs> when we come back, there are games you can't possibly predict right now because too much rides on what is happening to the other team. And I think there is one team in particular this year that if Utah beats them, will benefit BYU big time. We'll get to that and your Aggie season predictions next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. The Cougars hit the road for their season opener in Las Vegas to square off against Arizona. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 7.30, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Join the big show Friday at the warehouse from 2 to 7 p.m. Price is so low, it'll blow your mind. Boom, and you're wrong about Britton Covey. We'll get to that in a second. Okay, no, go ahead right now. What am I wrong about right Britton now? Covey? Two-hour games. Right, because he knows that the last two hours, hour and a half, are going to be garbage time because the Utes are going to be that good. That would be awesome if they just blow people off the field like they did in 2019. <laughs> and that's, that's, what what you, but that's what you won't predict. I mean, you just yeah, but your, your prediction is, it's his team. Your U prediction is nine and three, not eleven and one. But they were eleven and one, and games were over at the two hour mark. Honestly, there were games over at the one hour mark. There were a couple games that felt like they were over on Wednesday, <laughs> but not They're, Tuesday. No, no, Tuesday still <laughs> felt like a grind. It was yeah, whenever so, the injury came out when you found out what they're they're coming and they're not bringing their starting quarterback. Well, never mind then. This is so over. He, He's thinking I'll be checked out of the game after the two hour mark. Oh, and I do believe we'll that'll be happen. Winning that big, he. I do think they're going to put him in bubble wrap and use him in the biggest situations. I'll. I'll be surprised if he has ten catches against Weaver State. You know, they'll they'll throw him the ball in some big third downs they want to convert and in the red zone trying to get a touchdown. But I think he'll be used selectively and uh, in critical situations. Yeah, not going to get him beat up. So you have to understand his mindset. That's what he was saying, because obviously college football or football in general lasts longer than two hours. Two hours, yeah. Poll question is up at Twitter. What will the youth record be in the 2021 regular season? And right now, leading the way with 35% of the vote, 10-2 and two or better. 9-3, and three, which is what you put in your uh, column, uh, is getting 28% of the vote. 19% for 8-4. and four. And 19% for 7 and 5 or worse. Man, 7 and 5 or worse. That will be, I assume that 19% is, uh, is Cougar fans weighing in. Oh, these guys are going to suck. Yeah, I don't see that. I don't either. I don't either at all. I, I think the debate is 9 and 3 or 10 and 2. And I think sitting here in August, early September now, you could pick either one, and that's good enough. <laughs> that's, you know. I, It'll. We'll have to see. It's a couple of these games will come down to one or two plays, and who's healthy when you get there, and who's playing backup uh, quarterbacks and offensive linemen and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think that nine and three or ten and two is is pretty realistic. I think that's why they're in the preseason poll. I think that's why they were picked second in the Pac-12 South. I think that's why you wrote what you wrote, and I think that's why. What is it? A combined uh, 50, 61, 62 percent of the people are are picking nine and three or ten and two. You know, when you start getting into the or better range, well, then every then everything starts coming together. 
Oh yeah, wow! And you can't that, you can't pick phenomenal. that now, right? Yeah, you can't you can't anything pick above that ten and two is absolutely phenomenal. I think ten and two. I think nine and three, six and three, is a good season, and I think above that is very good, and I think uh, two steps above that is great. Ten and two to me is just absolutely fantastic, uh, as far as I can tell. Uh, I don't I don't know any team that I looked at in the Pac-12 that went ten and two. Uh, and they, boy, you guys sucked. <laughs> That's just, I mean, I know it's not Alabama, Ohio State, and they'd be all disappointed, but it goes back to what we were saying earlier. That's not where we are with uh, these teams. Uh, these teams are not in that tier. That's an exclusive club, and you have to pay a heavy price to uh, join that club, literally and physically, and uh, meta- uh, spiritually or whatever I'm looking for. Uh, as far I thought as you meant goes. monetarily. Monetarily you, is what I did. That's the word I was you looking got, for. You got to pay. Yeah, that's what I, I meant. That's my. That was the literally portion. The I looked it up in a break earlier this morning. The SEC has five of the ten biggest athletic budgets in the do. country, and when Oklahoma and Texas join the league, they will have seven of the top ten. Yeah. So come on. And that is why you win. Yeah. You got to spend it wisely, but when seven of your soon-to-be sixteen teams. Uh, are in that neighborhood, well, somebody's going to spend it wisely. Somebody may go Angels, and the Angels are legendary for spending and not spending wisely. Um, they did win a World Series, though. But, they did. Uh, they did get one. Yeah. And I can't tell you how every single year, I guess I can tell you because I'm about to, every single year in my area uh, where I live, a Ute fan has said, man, I can't believe how much they want me to pay for these tickets. <laughs> right. <laughs> And I don't live in the southeast, but I'm betting somebody would say, if somebody says that, then somebody says, fine, I'll I'll take them, give them to me. And they'll pay it because it's well, everything and, to them. And, and they do it the Utes. Mark Harlan, when they did the media availability uh, to show off the almost finished south end zone, uh, he said, we did this and we had a waiting list and we were worried, you know, supply and demand matters. And he says, we sold it all out. Well, they're go- he said, we're going to sell it all out. Uh, they weren't quite there yet, but he said they were going to sell it all out. And he says, and we're still going to have a waiting list. So yeah. to your point, there is somebody waiting. If you don't pay, they will. Well, yeah, I've had fans say that, but yet they still do. They just get irritated in the short term, but they still pay. And they've got, you know, some of them got uh, six, seven well, not probably not an odd number, but uh, got eight season tickets, mm-hmm. and they've got them scattered, yep. and their whole families go. Yep. And I know multiple people who do that. Yeah. And blah blah blah. So yeah, you you're in a good spot. They're not in the spot of the other guys, but they're in a really good spot. It's it's so hardcore that I know a family that had tickets at about the uh, twenty twenty five yard line on the uh, east side, kind of the north end, and uh, a couple went through a divorce, and now. There are tickets on the east side and on the west side. Yeah. Everybody's still going to the game, but everybody doesn't sit together. Oh, so they have to separate? They did separate. Yes, they did. Oh, literally and physically? But but they still go to games. (laughs) Nobody's giving that up. How about this? I know a guy who had tickets to an amphitheater, and he got divorced, and the spouse also had season tickets to the amphitheater, and it turns out that they were right in front or behind, depending on which one. And the guy had to go to the organization and say, uh, you, you're just going to have to move us. Oh, really? Literally right behind or in front, depending on which one. Yeah. 
And they said, yeah, this this isn't going to work here. <laughs> so they had to, of all the places, I mean, it just so happened that that's the way it turned out. Yep. <laughs> they got like 4,000 seats, and then they got most of those places have the seats, and then they have the grass area right. you know, for the folks up in the general admission. Yeah. yeah. So they end up being placed right in front, the as, virtually as close as you can get. It's fate. Then, as, as Humphrey <laughs> Bogart said. Of all the amphitheaters in the world, you had to walk into this one, kid. <laughs> so they got him uh, moved. Gin joints, amphitheaters, it's a Utah thing. It's just a slight yeah, adjustment. I, I thought, when I heard that story, I thought it was hilarious. <laughs> all right, I, I teased two things, and we haven't paid off either one of them, and Yach wants us to go to break. Should, should we just declare this a failure, or should I make at least one of the two points for the people who hung around for the tease? Uh, make one and then guarantee uh, pay off on the second one. Okay. Uh, the w- One was uh, Utah and BYU always linked together. It's hilarious how this happens. But I really think that with all these games being played in the Pac-12 South, the one I would really look at is USC. Because right now, you've got BYU, USC. you got USC winning that. Penciled in as a loss for BYU. So do I. But we brought this up on a college football show yesterday. Scott wasn't willing to go there. He said BYU can win that game if, if USC... Or No, he actually said, by the time you get there, USC isn't going to be this preseason hype team. Clay Helton's going to be fired. There's an interim coach. They'll be playing in the end of the season just trying to get through it, and BYU will win the game. Now, that was a little flippant, and he got a laugh at that. But, PK, you follow it close enough. I know you know this. Twice in the last 10 years, USC has finished the season losing five out of six games. They've gone in with high expectations. It's fallen apart, and when it unravels, it's spectacular. And it happened with a Lane Kiffin coach team in 2012. They went to uh, they went to uh, Arizona, lost 39-36, and everything fell apart. They lost five out of six to finish the season. And in 2018, they lost at Utah, 41-28, and everything unraveled. They lost five of six to end the season. So as much as we sit here and make our preseason predictions, and they're fun, and people want them, and they expect them, and that's fine. Like, we have to know. Stuff happens, and sometimes it happens to the opponents, and it's going to impact your season. And so if I, if I were a hardcore BYU fan, I would be watching that USC-Stanford game. I'd be watching that USC-Utah game, because if they win those, they're probably going to have a really good season, and they will be in a good place late in the year. But if they lose those two early, and then they would be an underdog in Notre Dame, I can see the wheels coming off. And okay. Scotty was playing it for Possible. laughs, but he's not totally up in the night. So right now we sit here and say BYU 8-4 and four and Utah 9-3. and three. But we've got that as a loss for BYU. But if the Utes beat USC, I'm not ruling out BYU beating USC either. Okay. All right, we'll get to the other one next. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Football Friday is presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, PK, so you've got your column up at 1280thezone.com. Go to the website. You can read uh, everything he has to say, preseason predictions, but not just that, but kind of the analysis of why you think what you think about the Cougars, about the Utes, and about the Aggies. And... We've already covered it. You said going conservative, the BYU pick is 8-4, and four, which I think you're right. That is conservative because I think there's a case to be made for 9-3. and three. Uh, And then with the Utes, you say another 8-1 is possible, if not improbable. Overall, the pick here is 9-3. and three. 
I would agree with every word of that. I think it's a coin flip on people going nine and three or ten and two. And with the opener tonight, we'll do the uh, predictions for the Cougars and Aggies uh, online tomorrow. But with the opener tonight, I put the Utes up now. Uh, and right now, we've got over 300 votes so far. And it's 35% for 10 wins. And it's 27% for the 9-3 and three you speak of. And then there are people going low. 20% of the people think it's 8-4. and four, And 19% think 7-5 and five or worse. I don't see the other two. I think it's a coin flip between the other ones. I can see eight and four. Things just don't go as well, but it's still yeah. in the ballpark. Or in the teams, you know, the competition is a little bit better than we gave. ASU, USC, and Oregon beat the Utes, and they drop one other game along the way. Well, the they Bruins, have the three interception game to somebody. Washington and State's always a wild card. UCLA might be a wild card. BYU might be a wild card. Any one of those three. They have that four-turnover game with three picks that uh, Kyle hates, and it gets away from him. Yeah, you get a special teams touchdown. You get a mm-hmm. punt block. And, uh, I was watching the uh, Utah-Oregon game the other night. Saw it was on from a couple years back, and Thibodeau got in there and blocked a punt. I mean, no way you would have predicted that, but he came untouched around the left edge. And I don't I if I remember he didn't even leap. He blocked the putt like running right through the punt. And you know, that's a, those are always huge, huge momentum changes. So sometimes things happen. Uh, I don't anticipate it, but I didn't anticipate the youth getting smoked in that game either, but yet they did. They did. Yeah. So sometimes things happen, who knows? And injuries are always a factor in football. We've seen it a million times over. If you're playing your third team quarterback, you're probably in a world of hurt. So, who knows? that? And hopefully that doesn't happen to anybody, but that, that's it. So, things, things can happen. And the Devils haven't recruited a quarterback in two years. And if, Jayden, if Daniels goes down, uh, Herm Edwards might be broadcasting the NFL before the season's over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You also have your predictions up for Utah State. You got them at 5-7, and seven, and that's the one time I thought you had a choice and you didn't go conservative. You went a little aggressive with the fifth win right there. Well, that's my Arkansas roots, man. I mean, if you, if you have any Jonesboro in your background, it's hard to shake. Well, you and Blake are family, apparently, because you went to the same mall for dinner. <laughs> I was driving down to do the uh, to do the show the hour, and uh, we were down in Utah County. The college football roundtable. We were at Marley's, and I was driving down, and I heard you launch into the, yeah, he and I are family. And you go, what? From the rest of the guys, like, oh, here we go. <laughs> like, he, he brought it up. He said we we're family, not me. I know he did. I, I, I 100% knew what you were saying and why you were saying it, and I saw exactly how you phrased it to get maximum reaction, and it worked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was good. It's good for well, coaches to What I show. found out is the other hosts aren't listening to our show. That's what I found out. Well, why would they? They know they can't measure because up. Because so. of, oh, okay, there it is, the intimidation yeah, factor. So why, and... why would you do that? <laughs> okay. I can't possibly be that good, so don't listen. I mean, I get, I get why they wouldn't do that. If I were in their shoes, too, I wouldn't listen to the beast. Come on. Compare yourself to everybody else. Don't compare yourselves to us. That's Big picture. Look at it. Big picture on the Aggies at five and seven. I started looking for wins because to me, after 
you know, you, oh, you're on your them. third coach in four years. You're coming off a really bad season. A, a weird season, but B, also a lot of losing. I mean, I know it was weird, but they were keeping score. And they were trying to win, and they couldn't. And there's a ton of turnover. There's a lot of transfers now. coming in, so yeah. it's a yeah, huge. Yeah. that's a huge wild card. I looked at the schedule. They got North Dakota. That's the, the money game. They're bringing in a, uh, a, a championship subdivision team, right? Um, They've got. Uh, I figured you must have been giving them a win at UNLV. Well, I'm figuring they got a three game, a four game win streak on them. So it starts so, UNLV, CSU, Hawaii, New Mexico State. Those potentially swing games. I'm looking at them winning them all. Uh, CSU seems like a reach. I get the others. Hawaii is two and yeah, five sweet, coming you into got Logan. CSU at home. It, it is. It is. Double check that. Yeah. It is. No, it is. It's a home game. Uh, at UNLV, home to CSU in Hawaii, at New Mexico State. Man, New Mexico State, that's. If I were in the bottom of the Mountain West, I would absolutely schedule New Mexico State. If I were the bottom half of the league, I'd be looking at those guys thinking, that's a W. We well, they're independent w. right now, aren't they? They still? are. They yeah, need games. So they need games. They need games. And if you're in the bottom half of the Mountain West and you need a win without traveling halfway across the country, yeah. did you, did you schedule did the Aggies. Did you mention what Hawaii's doing with New Mexico State this they're year? They're playing home and home this year. Yeah, so yeah. they're going to be one game in Las twice. Cruces and one time in Honolulu. Yeah. Do you see at Honolulu, because Aloha Stadium's condemned, they've taken their on PC Ching Athletics Complex, and they're ma- basically making it like a glorified high school stadium. For it's about three see years, yeah, five or six thousand people, but they're yeah, playing point. six home games. So, gotta do what you got to do. Yeah, there's no other facilities uh, to the go Aztecs to. Aztecs so. are playing, and the in a soccer stadium up in yeah, and the NFL did it. So, right. what the heck? Yep. I mean, no one will remember it over time. No. Uh, if you get a new stadium and you get good, and just, you got to do what you got to do. But I'm counting on these swing games. And it's probably well at New Mexico in a season and, finale is okay, a that's, that's a potential okay. W. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. six potential wins. I just wins went the winning streak. They're gonna I just get, went with the winning streak. Yeah. yeah. There's six potential wins, and you're looking at uh, trying to win five of those six. Which I didn't think was out of the realm. I had CSU in as a loss, so I thought you kind of had to sweep the five. Okay. All right. They're probably not going to win all the swing games. Yeah. So I'm probably going to be wrong. Yeah, I was thinking four and eight, and you went five and seven. It's it's much easier to be uh, overestimate and and when a team isn't that good, I think, because you want them to be halfway decent. Um, and so it was easier for me because I'm figuring that the way I went with that, you know, if they get a little mojo going on then maybe they oh, yeah. think they're better than they are right. and they play better. Yeah, and they're screaming nobody believes in us every week and look at these horrible preseason yeah. predictions and let's go get them. Yeah, absolutely. It's the it's the uh, Lance Reynolds statement. He actually made it to me under the stands at CSU. Speaking of CSU, when he made that statement to me, I remember exactly where we were, outside the locker room, up the tunnel, at, they don't even play at that stadium anymore because they've got the new stadium on campus, and I haven't been back there in a long time, uh, in 10 years. And I used to go certainly for basketball every year and then for football every other year. Uh, but he made that statement to me. He said, sometimes it's better to think you're good than to uh, not be good. But if you think you're good, that can overcome it. It's like what we were talking about with uh, Riley Jensen and the putting of mm-hmm. – uh, you know, the psychological aspect of it, 
Uh, and I oh, and I was I meant to tell you that yeah. And yesterday, I was watching the Golf Channel, and Cantlay was on there, and he was talking about that very thing, man. Because obviously he was the topic this week going into the thing starts today, the third round and final of their of their FedEx Cup, and he was talking about that very thing that we were talking about earlier in the day with uh, Riley Jensen, who has all the certifications and all, and qualified to be uh, a mental coach. I don't, I don't know. How do you describe him? Mm-hmm. He does so many different mental things. Mental performance coach. Mental performance coach. Yeah, I knew I was missing a word. Uh, so, And Cantlay was talking about how, he, you know, you get one, and it's like confidence is incremental, and then he gets to the point where you're through the roof in confidence, and in the moment, you're, yeah, man, I am one big, bad, you know what. And then you step back after it's done. You look back, wow, you see what I did? <laughs> and, <laughs> and you had it going on, and then it builds from there, it builds from there. And he was talking about the intimidation factor that everybody had when Tiger was out there. Now, he's only 29, but he was a younger kid. He wasn't on the tour at the time, but he has the experience of knowing because you're going back 10 to 15 years. And I think Tiger is at his, what, 25th anniversary of his first when he took off. Uh, I think the, when he got his first win, I think this is his 25th year. I believe I read that somewhere. So Kentley was a little on the younger side, but he knows of that, and he was talking about that. He was talking about the mental aspect, which we've heard, you know, in golf, my gosh, because there's so much downtime that it's so strong. So I'm thinking that the Aggies, if they can get a little mo, maybe they play better than we thought they were because they start to really believe it. And this Blake Anderson has the magic touch. And I followed it a little bit because of the Jonesboro connection, and I've been to the stadium, and uh, I haven't been to Jonesboro in a good long while because my my wife's grandmother's deceased. But for a while there, I was going at least once a year because they were super close, even though there was a physical distance of going uh, from Phoenix to uh, Arkansas. My mother-in-law took her two kids there quite often, and she used to, when they were in Detroit, she used to spend half the summers up there, which I didn't know until uh, we were driving around Detroit one time, and she told me, oh, and she was with her, uh, her uncle, yeah, that's the house that we used to stay in the summers. And I said, what are you talking about? Hmm. Yeah, we used, to, we used to spend. I said, you never told me that. <laughs> so, so she was having this uh, uh, flashback of Detroit. I didn't realize my wife's roots in Detroit were that strong. So the point being, man, you start going, and maybe Blake Anderson has, some, has something going on. And we've enjoyed talking to him for the few times we've spoken to him. I don't know. It was more, I don't know what he has, what he doesn't have. I have to see it. But I, I, I readily admit my Aggie prediction was more on the wishful side. Yeah. I can see that a little bit. Hopefully they'll pull it together. It's more fun when they win. And uh, we, I said this earlier in the show, and we'll recap everything we, you know, everything you missed in the show coming up in the next, next segment. But if you win 10 games and you got into this, you got into this with Gordon and Scotty yesterday, man, it's so awesome to listen to you do radio and listen to you do stuff to people that you do to me. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, wait, he's about to push this button. <laughs> Boom, there it is. 
<laughs> and it was like it was like I was taking a class driving my car, and I was technically breaking everything down. Oh, uh, he's got him set up now. He, they don't. They're not going to see the left coming at all now. And then you did it, and you're all disgusted and outraged. I'm like, this is so familiar. And I felt a little guilty afterward. You were spinning them like a top, man. It was unbelievable. And so my wife caught a piece of it, and she asked me about, man. I said, come on, it's just sports. We're not really arguing about anything that matters in our lives. I texted Scotty before I left, and, uh, and I got back. PK is in rare form, LOL. <laughs> you had already started firing off on him. And I turned it on, and sure enough, I'm like, yep, Scotty's right. I recognize But you can this. do that. That's the fun aspect of sports, but the, right? Yeah, the nobody's thing- right, nobody's wrong. It doesn't matter. Yes. And, and the point you were making was, um, yes, it's been disappointing they've lost the Pac-12 seasons, but it, or the Pac-12 championship game, but don't throw away the whole season because you won 11 games, and it was fun. Beating UCLA was fun. Beating UCLA again was fun. I mean, they've come in the league, and they've been better than UCLA. And, oh, no question. And Locke was saying, I remember him saying, if they go into the league, they'll be at this level. You know, talking about Oregon State and Washington State. They'll never match these teams. It's like, well, they've done pretty good against Cal, Stanford, and UCLA. Now SC has the upper hand. And Utah's got them. He's got them. They've gotten them three times, but SC has the upper hand. You know, Arizona State has the upper hand, although Utah's been to more Pac-12 title games than ASU. So would you rather lose head-to-head but still be in the title game more often? You know, I think Utah's had a better program than the Devils in the time, even though It just though hasn't shown up in the head-to-head record, been. right? It's just yeah. sort of a fluke there. Uh, and those things happen. That's but, the, that's the essence of this conference. There's things you can't explain. But stepping back and looking at it objectively, Utah's had a better program than the Sun Devils. But if you win 10 games, even if there's ultimately disappointment because you yeah. lose a conference title game or BYU doesn't play conference title games, but if it's 10-2 and two and they look back at the two and say, woulda, coulda, shoulda. There was one year they were like 8-1, and one, and Dick Harmon, if, next time we have him on, we'll ask him about this. I know he remembers writing about this. They lost to Virginia and there was a holding call, and he referred to it as whatever the BCS was worth then, $8 million or whatever it was. It was an $8 million holding call. Now, ultimately, they lost games late in the year, so it didn't matter because they lost other games. But I just think if you get to 10 wins, even if you are disappointed over those one, two, or three losses, it's still an awesome season. And I've counted it up now. Utah, Utah State, and BYU have combined for 28 10-win seasons. And there's only one of them that you could argue was disappointing. And I'm not convinced it was. But I get that the first year BYU was independent, the schedule wasn't very good, and Cougar fans were still way down over Utah getting into the Pac-12, leaving the Mountain West, not really having rivalry games. You know, that's, that was a weird season. So if you want to set that one aside. But the other 27, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what else happened. You know, you can say Gary Anderson and the Aggies, and they won 11 games, and the whack wasn't very good. Yeah? And sure everybody was. was singing and dancing in midfield, and Gary was up on their shoulders. Looked to me like people were having an awfully good time. So what yeah. are you throwing that back for? Because it was the whack, and it was watered down. So what? I agree. You know, they were moving on to the Mountain West. It wasn't like they were stuck in the whack forever. It was literally the last year they were going to be in the league. Yeah. So, and, and you can do the same thing for, uh, you know, the Utes were 10-2 and two with Ronnie Mack, and they were undefeated and shouldn't have lost the two games they did. It was still an awesome season. So don't, don't yeah, throw 8-1 in conference? Come on, man. Yeah. 
All right, DJ and PK, everything you missed in the show, we'll get you up to speed next. Stay with us. The Top 60 and 60 is back on the Zone Sports Network. Get your college football fix every day at 1.30 as the Zone counts you down to the start of the 2021 season by listing off the top 60 players in the state of Utah as voted on by the local media. You'll also hear from the coaches as they talk about the players that will impact their season the most. It's the Top 60 and 60, weekdays at 1.30. Presented by Cypress Credit Union and ICON. On your home of the best college football coverage in Utah. 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I've been around enough quarterbacks to know, you know, what they look at and, and do, and the great ones want that little extra thing that you can give them to make them even greater than they are. This kid uh, is the epitome of that. That is the Kansas City Chiefs head coach Andy Reid, and he is talking about Patrick Mahomes and his work ethic. The Chiefs Favorite to go to the Super Bowl for a third straight year. They've been in the AFC title game three years in a row and won two of the three. Uh, Lincoln Kennedy was on and did bring up the one thing that uh, should worry Kansas City fans, and that is, well, there's two things. One, when you lose the Super Bowl, there can be a hangover and a letdown, and there's some teams that have had really bad years and after losing a, a Super Bowl. And then also, as Mahomes, uh, you know, when he's in the rookie contract, you can spend more money on all the other positions. It's the same thing the Seahawks went through when Russell Wilson was on his rookie contract. Then you got to pay him. Now it's harder to build the team around them. And there's a reason the Seahawks haven't been back to the Super Bowl after they, they went twice and won one and lost one. And the Chiefs went twice and won one and lost one. Yeah, but I don't think Russell's as good as uh, Mahomes. I give you that. I don't think anybody's as good as Mahomes right now. He is so exciting. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I think that they're going to be fine. I don't know if they're going to go to the Super Bowl because you get in those, those one-game playoffs. I mean, a lot of things need to happen. Well, we saw their uh, their tackle tore his Achilles last year and in, late in the AFC title game, which they were ahead, and so they won they that. Issues. But then they obviously had a lot of issues trying to block the uh, the Buccaneers in the in the Super Bowl. They have at least six linemen who are new this year in that rotation on that offensive line. Building it up from scratch. Andy Reid, right in his wheelhouse. Fix the O-line. Lincoln Kennedy was on, Pac-12 Network analyst and uh, Raider analyst. I think the big takeaway from that interview, for those of you who missed it, you can go back and listen to it, 1280thezone.com. Uh, you already got it up, Yak? Yeah, so look for Lincoln Kennedy. You'll find it there, 1280thezone.com. But typically, <laughs> he was down on USC, had them third in the Pac-12 South behind the, the Devils and the Utes. Yeah, we'll just leave that alone. <laughs> okay. Your Devils to win the division? You feeling it? Oh, I think they got a shot. Sure. Yeah. It's three things. They can win the division, they can be okay, or they can implode. Well, if the coaching thing keeps going, then maybe implosion does happen. And maybe there's a quick resolution to an NCA thing that we normally don't see because they've been interviewing these people and they've got a ton of evidence, so they can't lie. Because I was told by multiple people high up in coaching, you just deny it and the NCA eventually just goes away because they're they don't have stuff to they don't have subpoena power. Blah, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. But here, because they had a couple of guys, at least one that got burned uh, by not by either getting fired or not getting a job they wanted, 
turn state's evidence on them and uh so they've got a they do have a bunch of information now that i could also argue that that actually unites this bunker mentality type deal with this team and they come through because most of them are going to be gone so what do they care (laughs) so uh, i saw uh mel kuyper had a list of the top quarterbacks and he had daniels at four I was surprised he was that high. So, and I think it was of eligible quarterbacks for the draft. And this being his third year, obviously he could be eligible for that. So uh, maybe maybe they do put it together. It's not. It's th- certainly not out of the realm. Uh, but if you go along of ASU stands for always something university, that something will get in the way. And and as I say, man, they are so thin at that position. That quarterback room is very sparse. Uh, nice. <laughs> Nice. Well played. Quarterback room and sparse. Uh, yes. College football tonight. Arizona State's playing Southern Utah at 8.30 on the Pac-12 Network right after the Utah-Weaver State game ends. It kicks off at 5.30. Then they'll switch to Tempe and Southern Utah and ASU at 8.30. Southern Utah already lost to San Jose State and pretty handily, so I would expect that ASU wins this pretty handily. Then they should beat UNLV at home next week. And then they come to BYU. They ought to be 2-0 and rolling into Purple. Okay, you're not going to do this again like you did that one year where you prick them to win every week so I can't celebrate? You can celebrate. I don't understand why because I pick them you can't win. Talk about playing the victim. Because I don't understand why you do that and why you don't let it. it. I only did it The Dan Shelton thing just got under your skin because he came in there just popping off about Florida and it pissed you off in basketball and football. I don't pop off. It's a friggin' game. These guys are 40 years younger than me. What the hell do I care? I don't even know what you're complaining about, but whatever. I'm complaining about you! I think they ought to be 2-0 and when they roll into Provo. There you go again. Nobody cares about them. Move on to the teams we I care about. I think you fans do care, and I think BYU fans care, because they both play them. One week. And it matters. One week. Uh, anything else that... Uh... The Lincoln throughout that you care about that you would like to repeat to the people, or any anything else we hit on over the course of this show. This is where we catch people up. They've missed stuff. The nine o'clock listener late to the party. What do they need to go back and listen to? Well, his his thoughts on the preseason teams not playing yeah. anybody. I mean, that, it's become an epidemic now. Only it's play like the a guys preseason you cut. game on. I'm not gonna watch it. What's the point? No. Uh, I mean, I, and I used to, you know, didn't set my watch or calendar for preseason games, but I did watch them. Now I don't watch any of them. Man, there's got to be something else on poker or something. <laughs> got <laughs> to be better than hey, what we're the, seeing. Is the rodeo from Vegas on? <laughs> Is the Golf Channel replaying something? I already saw how it ended. Yeah. Final Rodeo? Come on, that's that's good stuff. Well, uh, so they do nothing there. And then on the rise of these quarterbacks, man, the quarterbacks, there's just a run on them. There's just, if you're halfway decent, you're going in the first round and, and probably getting a chance. I mean, it seems like the, the days of uh, a dark horse out there just don't no. exist to the level that they used to. Nope. The, the guy who used to slide to the third or sixth round and then end up being a good player, he just goes in the first. And if you whiff, you whiff. But if you don't grab him in the first half of the first round, he's not on the board anymore. Well, the good thing about it is if you whiff, then you'll probably have a chance next, next year. Next year, yes. <laughs> right? Well, I mean, that's the Jet story. Let's get so that just, kid out of USC. He looks good. Well, uh, Let's get Cardinal, the kid out of BYU. He looks good. Cardinal story. Yeah. 
So uh, Trevor Lawrence is going to start. Zach Wilson is going to start. Trey Lance, uh, the Niners are playing it close to the vest. Is he going to alternate? What are they going to do with him? I don't well, know. I think that you're going to have Lance and Fields be starting at some point Later, this year. Right. Fields There's no way the... they stand around the whole season. Right. And then you got Mac Jones in New England. We already know he's going to start. So three, yeah. three of the five are starting for sure. And the other two guys probably later in the year seem to be the way to bet right now. Yeah. We went over your college football picks. BYU. You went conservative, eight and four. Utes, nine and three. And the Aggies, five and seven. That was the one where you got aggressive. It just didn't seem right to be post liberal and BYU in the same sentence. Oh, I see what you did there. That was very, very clever. <laughs> very clever. We've got a poll question up. What will the Utes record be in the 2021 regular season? We are uh, over 350 votes now, and holding right at 35%. Think 10 and two or better. That is basically a third of the uh, a third of the audience, which probably means what half of the Ute fans are thinking. This U team is lined up to crush it. Ten and two or better, so beat everybody except USC and Oregon. Or if you stumble against ASU or BYU or UCLA, then you make it up by beating USC or Oregon. Ten and two. Awfully good. Well, I think seven and two can get the job done this year. You think USC is going to... So seven and two if you beat USC. Uh, maybe not, but probably. So you're talking tiebreaker, right? I see no reason why they don't beat SC. I'm not saying they're going to, but I see no reason why they don't. It's not like, wow, can you believe that? No, I no. don't think we're at that level. And the good thing is, we'll have four or five games for each ball club by the time we get there, and have a better feel for it. Yes, the Utes will have four under their belt and a bye week before that game. And SC will play every week and play five. Oh, and he, uh, the genius, the defensive wizard, never loses following a bye week. (laughs) (laughs) We know we'll hear that. Yes, we will. I look forward to hearing it. That sort of went out the window on the two bowl losses. Yes. But I, I really attribute that to the hangover of being this close to the Rose Bowl and not getting it done. Well, we'll have to go back and just dig up after regular season bye weeks. Right. Because it's the when he has more than one week to prepare. So the first game, the regular season bye week, and then going into the bowl game. Well, Kyle's bowl record was awesome. They've opened up with a lot of big sky opponents who they ought to be beating no matter how much time they have to prepare. So really, yeah. it ought to just be comparing apples to apples. What are they after a regular season bye week? And then you also have to compare it uh, once they got established in the Pac-12 versus the early years when they were still playing Mountain West players, by and large, and they had to filter those guys out through the program. So in the end, what the crap, play the game. All right, DJ and PK, that is the stuff we have been talking about today. Anything you missed, you can go back and listen to 1280thezone.com. All the shows are archived there. You can listen hour by hour, wherever you get podcasts. You can download any of the shows all day long, and the interviews are broken out separately, so you can find uh, Lincoln Kennedy. For you BYU fans, coming up tomorrow, Alex Brink, Washington State football analyst for you for you Cougar fans. For you Aggie fans tomorrow, although we talked Aggie Utes and Cougars because they're playing – Everybody, we are going to see a lot of Washington State football this year. 
Uh, they got yep. the Aggies uh, coming up Saturday night. So we'll have Alex Brink tomorrow. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Your feedback, some of it hilarious. Coming up next, stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes get set for an in-state showdown against Weber State at Rice-Eccles Stadium. Catch the Ute pregame show Thursday at 4, followed by the postgame show immediately after the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! The 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Samson Nakua knows the Utes better than anyone who doesn't wear dirty red, and he's guaranteed a victory for BYU on September 11th against Utah. That's right, it's guaranteed that BYU is going to beat Utah this year. One is coming. One is coming. That sounds like trash talk for next week, PK, but some people want to get in front of it. Okay, where did we hear him say that? Dave McCann reportedly said that he said it. Well, we'll have him on Monday morning, right? Yep. Yes, we will. Samson Nakua, every Monday morning at 7 a.m. talking BYU football here uh, with DJ and PK in the morning. 7 a.m. on Mondays. BYU fans, lock it down. Samson Nakua every week. He would be the first one to go 4-0 in the rivalry with not all four wins at the same school. I believe you're right. <laughs> right? <laughs> no one else is celebrating a four-game win streak, but Samson is. Uh, Nick Ford, who wants to celebrate a four-game win streak, but all in red. Uh, he will join us at 7.30 on Monday morning. So we got Samson Nakua and Nick Ford back-to-back talking BYU and Utah football Monday mornings right here on The Zone. Riley came on yesterday. Riley Jensen said Weber State has five NFL players on the roster, and Scott just saw it and tweeted back, I would bet anyone, anything, that Weber does not have five NFL guys on its roster. There it is. There's the gauntlet, people. Anyone, anything. If you're looking for a bet, hit up. Okay. Slide into Scott Reese's DMs. Well, let's have it, man. Let's bet <laughs> anything. That's a risky bet right there because you, you, we won't know for five years. Right? There could be some freshman out there. Yeah. The college football season is here. What are your predictions? And Ellis McPickle at Nice Lederhosen <laughs> tweets back at us. <laughs> That's a Kyle Winningham reference, I'm relatively sure. Uh, the world is in commotion, and that commotion we're witnessing will continue to increase. However, we have reasons to be optimistic and have hope. What are we talking about? I believe bigger picture. He's talking climate change and pandemic and uh, malware and whatever else is causing commotion in the world. Okay, well, what are, we have, what are we hoping for? That's what I'm saying. Where are we going with that? Better times. For what? All Just of life us. in general? Yes. Well, I mean, we don't talk about life in general. Those are <laughs> other shows for that. Well, your picks gave everyone hope because you've got Utah and BYU having big seasons. Not huge, but you got them at eight and nine wins. That's good. And I don't think nine and ten's out of, out of the realm. I think you went, you went uh, conservative on purpose. You certainly ballparked it. And the swing games are too far away to know for sure. But that's where they're tracking. Uh-huh. Steve saw the poll question. 
What will the Utes record be in the 2021 regular season? 10 and 2 or better, getting 35% of the vote. We're almost to 400 votes. And Steve says there's no don't care button. Steve just doesn't Well, then don't vote if you don't care. Care. Then don't vote. That's the, that's the ultimate care uh, button, don't care button. You don't have to vote. Dummy. <laughs> uh, let's see. Scorp Daddio says, expect the unexpected this season. And that usually doesn't turn out too well. For who? For what? But in this era of wokeness, gender politics, cultural appropriation, fear and paranoia, be prepared for knee-jerk reactions, bad decisions, and general ridiculousness, even in college football. I'll just focus on game two and stay sane. Can't we just have fun with this, man? No. Well, I can. You can't, but apparently yeah, can, everybody I, else. Easily. That's, that's all I ever do with sports. It's fun. It's entertainment. Uh, let's see. Uh, Dr. Dad says long-term I'm, or no, excuse me. He liked that. It's a uh, Matt just Matt says long-term. I'm being optimistic that we get a full season without COVID cancellations this year. Great. All right. There's the feedback for today's show. Scotty and hands are coming up next. Any other pieces of, uh, genius you'd like to pass along? Well, we know we got a game tonight. So all you youth fans that are going, have fun, keep it under control, and enjoy yourselves. And same for Weber. You've got uh, Utah on the Pac-12 Network with Weber State at 530. You've got Boise State and UCF at 5, Ohio State and Minnesota at 6 on Big Fox. The Boise State game is on ESPN. And PK's Devils are playing Southern Utah at 830 on the Pac-12 Network. And the final word for the morning goes to Fish Fear Me at Cody G. Fish. Who cares about college football when September baseball is upon us and the wild card race will go down to the wire? Okay, well, I think there's room enough for all, though, isn't there? Can't you can't you just have enough? enough? When we've got NFL football when a World Series is going on, so you can do both. Big, uh, you're athletic. I know you guys love the athletic. Just said the Big 12 continues to engage in serious discussions about future expansion. BYU, UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston are the four schools that have most seriously been discussed. I'm telling you, if BYU, oh, the Big 12 was seriously considered BYU as a potential addition early in this process. Yes, I believe BYU can get in as early as next season if both sides want to. I I have spoken to people; they've told me that if BYU wants in. They're going to the Big 12 this year, or soon, whatever, whenever year. I would think that expansion is announced after the Oklahoma-Texas buyout, wherever that is going, because they don't think anyone really thinks they're going to play four years in the league. So they'll negotiate something, and then the Big 12 will announce expansion after that, I would think would be the order of that. The fact is, I strongly believe that it's going to happen. At BYU, you know where they're going? The Big 12! It's the Big 12, brother. <laughs> it's Division One football! <laughs> Greg just hit us up. I'm here in the Ute. Long snapper room is crowded and brimming oh, with is. confidence. Yeah, they've got three or four transfers in there. I mean, the competition is tough. They're going to have to sort that out. <laughs> All right, we'll let Hans and Scotty sort that out. Next, we'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy the game tonight.